All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Course Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. The legendary Snoop Dogg joins Team Supreme to talk doggy style, producing with Dr. Dre, and how he became the ultimate entrepreneur. Originally released December 19th, 2018. Suprema, su-su-suprema, roll call. Suprema, su-su-suprema, roll call. Suprema, su-su-suprema, roll call. Suprema, su-su-suprema, roll call. My name is Questlove. Yeah. And I'm out of breath. Yeah. Snoop's gym. Yeah. I'm out of breath, man. Roll call. Suprema, su-su-suprema, roll call. Suprema, su-su-suprema, roll call. My name is Fonte. Yeah. Please hold my calls. Yeah. Because everybody got to hear. Yeah. The shit on W Ball. Roll call. <laughs> Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. My name is Sugar. Yeah. I'm a friend indeed. Yeah. But a friend in need. Yeah. Will steal your weed. Roll call. <laughs> Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Indica or sativa. Yeah. Blunt's joints or bong. Yeah. yeah, somebody grind this weed. Yeah, before the end of this song. Roll call, Suprema, Suprema, roll call, Suprema, Suprema, roll call. It's Laia. Yeah, and Snoop, is it true? Yeah, I heard Indica and Sativa ain't real. Yeah, how about you? Roll call, Suprema, Suprema, roll call, Suprema. Suprema roll call. My name is Snoop. Yeah. I'm not no beagle. Yeah. I'm a Laker fan. Yeah. And I like the Eagles. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. 
Ladies and gentlemen, we have reached the pinnacle of this podcast. Black life goals. Hallelujah. I, yo, I have nothing Sorry. prepared. This is Questlove of Questlove Supreme, as if I got to reintroduce the show that we're on. Well, well. Um, this is our Christmas episode, but I'll be very honest with you. It's still August, and we are in, <laughs> we are in heaven right now. The compound. Yes, ho, ho, we are ho. in the compound of all the compounds. Yeah. A lot can be said um, about our guest today, but in my opinion, he's probably, hands down, the most beloved, unique, charismatic, talented MC in hip-hop culture, period, yeah. in music period, in life period. Facts. And, I mean, hip-hop is 45 years old, and I said, period. Um, if I ponder and gave a thorough investigation, uh, you actually might catch me saying that he's easily, if not the top three, but one of the best voices in hip-hop. Yes. He is the coolest of the cool. His catalog's outstanding. His his anthems are people's high lives. Uh, he's the craziest live show I've ever seen. And, he, and I guarantee he's your mom's favorite rapper. <laughs> That's yo, ladies and gentlemen, your mom's favorite rapper. Straight up, straight up. Snoop, hi mother, doggy, dog. <laughs> yes, in the building. Yes. Thank you, boys. Thank you, family. Appreciate that. And that roll call was off the hook, man. <laughs> you know, I'm a rapper though, so I stay ready. I ain't got to get ready. Oh yeah, keep bars on deck. Yeah, your your album, like my mom would like she because I was talking to DJ Quick. We had DJ Quick uh, on the show early, and uh, his album I couldn't listen to the cursing, but when Doggy Style dropped. That was the one album, like, my mama was singing Ain't No Fun With Me and shit. Shout out to moms and all the real mothers around the world that was allowing their kids to listen to that Snoop Dogg music back then. Because they knew, I guess they knew that I didn't really mean no harm. I just was, I was the young voice. And yeah. at the same time, I appreciate the mothers for allowing y'all to listen to it because we grew together. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'm literally out of breath from <laughs> just being on the basketball court. <laughs> I don't know how you do it, bro. I don't know. Um, I'll lead us off, Fonte. All right, all right. Where'd you grow up? <laughs> You're right, right. Snoop Dogg. Where were you born? LBC. I grew up in Long Beach, California, on the east side of Long Beach. Okay. And what was your when you were first uh, started? Like, what was music like in your household? In my household, music was like uh, Isley Brothers. Uh, my mama loved some Teddy Pendergrass, OJ, Stylistics. Uh, Manhattan's the dramatics. Dramatics, I was about to say, yeah. Definitely. Uh, so Gap Band. The Daily Black Nutrients. Yeah, of, come on, man. <laughs> I'm dipped in the sauce, man. Okay, well, Shaka's like, what, what joined, like, mm, I'm straight Philly, what joined? What, all right, what joined, like, would you, would we be shocked that you listened to that was outside of the lane of what you're known for listening to? Your Cadillac music, like, what? I, I loved, um, Rod Stewart was hot to me when I was yes. young. He was dope. Like I loved his get down. Like the way he sung his, he, he seemed like he was singing off what he was on, and 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 it seemed like he was on the wrong bar, mm -hmm. but he was always in the right, you know what I'm saying, position. Like I love the way his voice sounded. Rod yeah, Stewart. he had a raspy, soulful voice. He was cold to me. I love me some Rod Stewart. Okay. Yeah, yeah thank <laughs> Now. <laughs> I feel that. Did you have any siblings uh, growing up? Yeah, I got two brothers. You youngest, older, like older what? brother and a younger brother, and then my mother adopted my cousin, and we made him my brother. So it was a uh, uh, four boys in the house. You know what I'm saying? Raised by one single mother. Um, music was key, but I probably was the only one that like really had a knack for it. Like would sing in the choir and uh, talent shows. 
rapping other people raps like the Sugar Hill Gang and, and Jimmy Spicer, when they first came out, I learned all of their raps and shit because I was like, these niggas is fly. So I learned all of their raps and went to school and would just put my name in their raps. Like That was like my first you know, intervention with me trying to become a rapper, listening to good music and seeing if I could emulate it and not being afraid to do it in front of people, even though if I was whack or good. Yeah, yeah. So when did you first start realizing that you had a, a, a knack or a gift for MCing or singing or, you know, just overall talent? When did you realize? 86. Um, 85, I was cool. I was a, you know, basic rapper, you know, rapping about cars and swimming pools and shit I didn't have. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know the old basic rap back then in the beginning. I got a big old house and a big old car and, right, and they yeah. didn't have nothing. Right. You know what I'm saying? Then I gradually grew into, you know, style. Like, what style do I want to use? And watching and studying the greats and listening to how they vocals and how they controlled the microphone, not just what they were, but their vocal tones. So it was a lot of studying that went into, you know, what I was doing. I wasn't just trying to be a regular rapper. I wanted to be great. I wanted to like find ways to perfect styles and perfect things that nobody had done, but at the same time watching people who had inspired me. Yeah, I always heard you say that Slick Rick was one of your favorites. That was my man. Love him to death. And that's still one of my friends to this day. Like when I got a chance to meet him, he became my friend and it's like to have somebody like that that you idolize and that you're able to finally get a relationship with is beautiful because he's very, you know, unique and I still look at him as the same Slick Rick when I was a kid because he still dressed fresh, 100 chains on, still got the coldest conversation, and he remained him at all times. And that was, like, helpful to me to find out who I was and try to remain me and not try to get caught up in the phase with rapping hard or rapping fast or rapping loud. Because when I was coming out, most rappers was rapping, like, aggressive and hard and loud. Yeah, very aggressive. There was a couple of smooth ones, but not the pocket I was trying to find. So, well, with Slick Rick though, I mean, your 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 baritone is also key to your your low voice. Your baritone is 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 key to your delivery. But I mean, how did you did you finesse that style that you have now? Your snarl, I, I wouldn't know how to. It's somewhere between Snagglepuss, Slick Rick, and you almost Don Cornelius. I think what it is, Boosie Collins said it was like a cartoon mind. He like you got a cartoon mind, so. A lot of times when you rapping, the voices that you hear will be, you know, cartoon related. You know, some sort of cartoon that I may have heard or seen as a kid and I emulate that and put that vocal into my rap with the delivery. Like you said, Snagglepuss, like, because to me, because the way he talk, mm. it's sort of kind of like the way I swing it when I'm rapping. Right. So even as a teen, you had this style developed Nah, hell no. Nah. <laughs> I would hate for you niggas to hear the mu- music. Oh, making. that's what I'm trying to lead to. Nigga, like, no. I hope y'all ain't got none. You know, some niggas be like, well, coming up next. Stu- <laughs> we found the 1987 version when you was Snoop Rock Ski, and you thought you... Oh, what, was your, what was your first name? Snoop Rock Ski. Oh. Yes. Yes. Uh, I rolled with that shit for a minute. It's weird, though. I mean, because it's most, most West Coast... Yeah, most West Coast cats I know... Won't even admit to having any sort of East Coast influence. Man, fuck that. Nigga, we loved everything about the East Coast. If you don't knock it off, nigga, y'all niggas was the the pavement to our walking on shit. Nigga, we wanted to be like y'all with the belt buckles, the mink coats, the bomber jackets, the motherfucking kangos, the gold chains, all of that shit. We 
wanted to be what y'all was because y'all created that. And I say y'all, I say the East in general because yeah. they from Philadelphia to New York, nigga from Steady B to motherfucking, all these niggas that had all that flavor and that style, we watched that and then we emulated and put our own flavor on it. That's how the hip-hop game was created. Somebody had to start it, mm -hmm. somebody had to see it, and then add their pieces on to what they saw. And then that's what created hip-hop. That's why it's growing into different nations now. That's why people in different countries uh, do hip-hop. They can't even speak English, but they do hip-hop. Yeah. What was the first show that you've ever seen, concert-wise? Music, uh, hip-hop or... The Wiz. Right. What? Wait, what? The Wiz in 1979 when Stephanie Mills was playing. Uh, yeah. Oh, I saw that one. That Word? was a good one. Yeah, that shit was dope, man. Yeah. Yes. Dope. Wow. Live. Who took you? Mom took you see it? Yeah, you know, it was like a church thing. Yeah. You know, that's when I was a good boy. And, you know, <laughs> you know, the church got us a couple of tickets to go see the Wiz. You know, we're going to take Brother Snoopy with us, too. He's been acting good in church. You know, you're going to get to go hang on out with us. Church. <laughs> Well, all right, so hip hop wise, what was the first show you saw? Run DMC, uh, Fresh, Fresh Fest. Fest, yeah, Fresh Fest, eighty four, eighty five, in eighty four, eighty five, Long Beach. Okay, Long Beach, I yeah. remember yeah, it. Yeah, when we shut that shit down. Okay, okay. I was going <laughs> to ask, was it the Long Beach show that? Yep. Can you t all right? Of all the, <laughs> the the idea of a riot breaking out at a, at a hip hop concert, I'll never forget like the coverage and Right On Magazine where like they had to. I remember Vanessa Williams was even at the show for some reason, but now I know Russell Simmons the way I know him. Yeah, of course Vanessa Williams was there, but <laughs> but they had to give like a, a press conference and the whole idea of rap being violent or whatever. Like they put my city on the map. It started with this. Sh That's how I know what Long Beach is. Right. Well, Can you it, recall what happened at the show? Like I what? was a youngster. I probably was like 13, 14. I couldn't get in, so I ended up sneaking in with one of the homies. And when I got in, um. They just didn't have no security or like no. Nah, it was up? it was a good it was a good show. It was tight. It was like LL Houdini and all of them. But what the problem was, it was some LA niggas that came down to Long Beach, and the LA niggas was basically known for just you know when you go to LA they fuck the concerts up and you know they run everything. They came to Long Beach and didn't realize we was deep, and we was we was all one gang at one time. It was three different gangs in Long Beach, but they all was together mm -hmm. at that particular time. And when they tried to come. And do some shit, it happened to be during the intermission. And I spoke with Leora to find out exactly what the moment was. And Leora told me it was like it was a break between acts. And when the when the acts would have a break, they wouldn't have a DJ and nobody playing on music. And it just went uh, yeah. black on stage. And that's when niggas seen each other and was like, I think it was between LL and Houdini, because LL came out with all red on and our city is all Crips. We didn't have and that's when Bloods and Crips wasn't cool at all. Like now, it's, it's way better. Mm -hmm. But back then, it was no dialogue, no understanding. And when he came out with that red on, niggas was like, "That was problematic." He wanted him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, like it was shit that was going on from that perspective. And then that the, the, the L.A. niggas came and tried to push up in Long Beach, and the Long Beach niggas had to defend their turf. And then there was some essays there, and it was just a bunch of mayhem that had nothing to do with the concert, and it fucked the concert up. And it put our city on the map for all the wrong reasons. Uh, but then I came and cleaned it up. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So speaking speaking of those early tapes that you made, how did you like? Was two one three your first project, or what was your first development actually in doing tapes? And no, my first development was probably um, eighty three. It was a rapper named Captain Rap. Captain Rap. Oh, Long Beach. Yeah. He had a song called Bad Times. 
Captain. Oh, Captain Rat. Yeah, he from Long Beach. Jimmy Jam. Okay. Yeah, so he um lived. His mama lived on Elm Street, which was like the gangbang street, 21st and Elm Street. And I lived on 23rd and Locust, which was like three or four blocks away. And I heard that Captain Rap was over there, so I had made a cassette. You know, you push record and play that old school shit. Where you, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Rapping into the cassette. Yeah. Did that. Did like about five songs. They was all whack. Went over to see the nigga, and he listened to him. He was like, nah, you ain't ready. You need to blah, blah, whoop. And the game he gave me was... I appreciated that because now I, I hear him and see him in real life right now today, and I remember how he treated me and how he was to me on some real shit. Like, and he was like the first rapper from Long Beach to have a song out, but at the same time, he didn't have no more songs out. So when I listened to his song, I was like, okay, I want to make a hit, but I don't want to just make one hit. One hit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to learn from this. Like, fuck that. I'm too greedy. I want more. <laughs> so he was just pimping that one song I got, no follow-up, and just nothing else. I don't, I don't know what happened. You know, around that time, West Coast rap was was limited. That was like fast West Coast rap was like bad times. That's, that's when we was rapping like that. You know what I'm saying? So that shit came and went. And did did Toddy T have an effect on you? With, Toddy, Toddy, uh, yeah. Toddy T is one of the coaches in my football league. What? Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. He, uh, me and him been friends for the past 25 years. But Toddy T had a real big effect because I was a, a, a drug dealer and the battle round was really real. Like, we would really see it come through the neighborhoods. And that song was so symbolic to West Coast music because it was like the first time that we had a record that was about us and the shit we was going through that everybody on the West could relate to that was selling drugs. And most drug dealers became rappers. You know what I'm saying? Because that's what Toddy T and them was. They was drug dealers that were rappers. Okay. They just so happened to be making music because they were like, fuck it, we got spare time, let's make some music. It was him and another rapper named Mixmaster Spade. That was the shit. He used to rap like he was in church, like, Oh, welcome party people, I'm so glad you're here. Got the ladies in the front, and women in the rear. His whole rap sound like that. Oh, like vocal was deacon, yeah. yeah. It was cold with it. Damn, I gotta look him. He had singles out or? Hell yeah. What's, he, what's his name? Tidy T and Mix Master Spade. Yep. Mix oh, Mix Master Spade. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay. They right. before NWA. They were. They were the ones before NWA. Like, they was from Compton. They was representing that gangster shit. They was real drug dealers. They the ones, not the tools. Did you have any uh, experience, like, any Uncle Jam situations or any of those? Actually, Uncle Jam, Roger Clayton, rest in peace, came to Long Beach in 1990 and was working a club called the Toe Jams. And that's what me and Domino used to rap at. You know, Domino. Yeah, the Ghetto, Ghetto Jam. Jam. Domino, yeah. We was rapping there, and the Twins, and Warren G, and the whole little clique, we was all rapping there. And he kind of like knew that me and Domino had something special because he would always separate us and let us like come in a little booth. He had like a space booth in the air, like old school shit, like uh-huh. up here, but it's over the crowd. And he would let us come up in there and let us rap. And it's like you could tell that he knew that we were special. And and I didn't even know this motherfucker was Uncle Jam until after the fact. Because he, he wasn't like, I'm Uncle Jam. He's just like, it's Roger Clayton. Okay. And then I was telling people, yeah, I'm, I did this with Roger. They're like, nigga, you know Uncle Jam? I'm like, who was Uncle Jam? Like, when did this party start? I've heard of his parties, but I just don't know the... 70s, late 70s. Oh, he went back that far. Okay, like, I, I know. think George Clinton blessed him. I think George Clinton was like, you know what? You the young nigga out here in L.A. that's pushing and promoting my shit and doing that thing. And I think he took it on to say, all right, I'm Uncle Jam. 
Oh, you understand? I'm on yeah. I'm Uncle Jam's army, right? Because I'm part of you know what George and them is doing, and I'm just a, a culmination of it. Like you know how it is? They inspired us. Everything yeah. Uncle Jam is funk based. Everything that that we do is funk based because those were the originators of what we love. Them, Rick James, Gap Band, the whole funk. Man, can you explain to us the importance of the rhodium and like what that was? Mm. I've heard Swap always meat. it was basically like flea market. Yeah, it was a flea market, but it was the spot that NWA made their first like mixtapes that okay. really broke ice. Like Dope Man, Gangsta Gangsta, all that shit was in there first, like on mixtapes. So they was like there making like songs with Cube, would be rapping, and Dre would be on the turntables. And it was like jacking for beats before jacking before for beats. Jack. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But yeah. Dr. Dre was doing the mixing and taking niggas' beats, and Ice Cube was rapping and fucking it up. And they was rapping gangster shit. And back then, it, was, it wasn't common. To rap gangster shit, more more rappers were, you know, rapping the right way or you know trying politically to be correct. Yeah. yeah, like KRS One didn't give a fuck. He was going hard. You know what I'm saying? He was one nigga. Uh, just Ice didn't give a fuck. He was hard. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? There was certain niggas that just didn't care. Ice T didn't give a fuck. He was hard. But some of them was just like, you know, Rakim was hard, but I never heard him cuss. Right. Yeah. Like, I wanted to hear him cuss at least Oh, except for Mahogany. <laughs> Mahogany, yeah. he said, fuck around, around Mr. Show. show. Yeah. Yo, I was like, yo, he cursed. Yeah. On, on the original My Melody, he says, pull up a chair and I'm going to tear, tear shit up. I'll tear shit up. up. Yeah. That ain't the worst. Shit, tear shit up. <laughs> <laughs> I want him to motherfucker. Give me some good shit, bro. <laughs> yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? 
With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So for for those tapes, like, were you an ardent collector of them? Like, as far as Dr. Dre's concerned, were you, was it a goal for you to like, okay, one day I got to get to him or? One day I wanted to get to Steve. Steve Yano. He was the one that ran the Rhodium Swap Meet. Oh, so you the just Asian. want to get your product in? I just wanted to, to get to him because to <laughs> me, fuck them. He was the one because he could get you out there. I wasn't good enough for them. I didn't want to go to them and like get them music that wasn't dope as theirs. Like that's the kind of rapper I was. Like I never wanted to rap for Dre. I wanted to get out for NWA because I didn't think I was ready. Like so, I would rather make music and get ready. And then once they discover me and feel like I'm ready, then we make that happen. And that's exactly what happened. Go ahead, say. Oh, um, so from the first, explain us exactly how when you first started, when you, Warren, and Nate formed two and three, when did y'all start recording together? Well, um, me and Warren G was friends from like elementary school. I met Nate Dogg in high school in 86. When um, I was in the 10th grade, he was in the 12th grade. We had a class together. We just used to be fucking around, you know, beating on the table and singing and rapping. Then we had seven period together, which was PE, and we never went to that, so we would always be singing and shit in the back of the gym. So, but Warren G was my dog, and Warren G was always wanting to do music with me, but we never, like, did music. So then I figured out a way to get all three of us together, and once we got together and got past all the arguing and fighting and shit, Cause them niggas used to fight all the time, Warren G and Nate. Though them niggas could not stand each other. Word. That's why it fucks me up if they got all the fucking hits together. Right, right, right. And them niggas was always fighting each other, like. Even in a, in a brother like way, or just like no, I really in don't. In a brother like way, like nigga, like you know how brothers is, like, <laughs> like what the fuck is y'all? And I'm I'm in the middle of shit, like what the fuck is y'all fighting about? This is bullshit. And this is even back then, even before y'all before was on records. Wow. Before the no, be, it happened a lot before the records. When the records came out. Only conflict was like just in the studio, you know. Nate Dogg like doing the shit a certain way. He like fuck that. He hard headed in the studio. He like doing shit. Nah, fuck that. I'm doing it this way. I'm singing the motherfucker the way I want to sing it. <laughs> <laughs> Nate was always singing. Always. Was he ever MC at any point in his life? Never. Never. Really? But he could. Okay. He could. You know, like like I said, when I met him, we was rapping and singing in the back of the class, like. He wasn't just coming out, huh, nigga was rapping with me. You know, I was, you know, beating on the table and shit, rapping and shit at the same time. And he would come in and rap. And then certain points he would make, maybe sing some shit and they'd be like, oh, that was fly. And he always had that smooth voice? Always had that shit. Like, he sounded like an R&B nigga that, to me, he always sounded like the dude from, uh, what's the group, Mind Blowing Decisions? Heatwave. Uh, Johnny Wilder. That nigga. He yeah. sounded just like us. If Nate, when he used to sing Always and Forever... He sounded exactly like us. Damn. Like niggas just sing that for the homies. Niggas be like, Nate, sing always and forever, cuz. <laughs> <laughs> always and forever. Nine niggas in the room. This nigga singing. The high parts too. <laughs> Nigga, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so from the time when y'all started making records, I've always heard you credit the DOC as actually teach you how to write rhymes. Or, or, or structure your rhymes rather. Um, how did you go from 
like just freestyling? Like, how did you start developing, you know, your pin game before meeting uh, Dre and doing Deep Cover? Mm. Freestyling was my main thing because I was. It was easy for me to come to my head real quick. I would always, you know, I, I was quick with it. And then I started writing, but my rhymes that I wrote were like so basic. Like I would freestyle complex shit, but I would write basic shit, and I couldn't understand like why the fuck am I so basic when I'm writing, but I ain't. You know, basic when I'm freestyling, because I guess it was a more challenge. You're freezing up. Exactly. Yeah. So I, then I started saying, fuck it. When I, we started making tapes, I just started going in there just saying shit, like, fuck it, I ain't going to write no shit. And that shit was sounding better than the shit I wrote. <laughs> and then once I got with, you know, different producers and certain motherfuckers was giving me game on, this is a 16 bar. What's up, 16 bar? That's when the shit started here and in here. Nigga rap forever. You know, back then we had a hundred motherfucking bars. You know, that's what rappers did back then. Niggas didn't know how to break that shit down. You know, we just rapped till we couldn't rap no more. So then once a the nigga learned how to structure, I was like, right, cool, I got it. But then when I got with Dre and DOC, DOC showed me how to make songs. Like, I would bust, well, at least they bust something. I bust like three minutes. And he'd be like, all right, see what you said right here? That's the hook. What you said over here? That's the last 16. Over here, it's the first four. Right here, that's the next eight. Like, he would take my shit. Oh, restructure it. This nigga was, nigga, like he worked for motherfucking Microsoft, nigga. Put together, <laughs> nigga. For real. With point plans. Yeah, nigga, know how to put, put, put the thing together. Like, even when it came to G thing, like, I wrote it <clears throat> on the east side. But the last part, I was stuck. And he came in, because it's something I had said a long time ago. And he was like, nigga, remember that shit where you was like, like this, that, and this, and that. Because I said that in the freestyle. When I was just freestyling one time, nigga, right. it's Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. I'm in the fifth thing, and we do it like this, and that, and that. He was like, yeah, do that, and put that at the end, and then put my name in there. What's your opinion now on younger MCs and being able to freestyle versus not? This ain't what it used to be, you know? Like basketball ain't what it used to be. Football ain't what it used to be. You can't expect them to be on the level of the game that ain't the same. You know, when we came out, you had to have skills like that. I remember I had to battle like 40 niggas in New York one night. Oof. Like on some real shit. And then Corrupt stepped up and served about a thousand niggas. Mm. And I'm not making this shit up. It was like a karate movie, nigga. Like, <laughs> <laughs> niggas was running up with the same outfits on. Niggas was fucking niggas up. <laughs> But that's what that's what hip hop was for me when I came in in the '80s. I started rapping in like '84, '85. I had to battle about a hundred niggas before I even got to a microphone. Before I even got to a microphone, it was like right of passage. Yeah. Then yeah. when I got to a microphone, it'd be like a house party, and if you ain't saying the right shit, nigga, they <laughs> DJ put on some shit like nigga, get out of here. I seen niggas get shut down to get house parties. Then I started doing talent shows. So it was like I started getting familiar with the mic and my voice, and I started recording myself. Like I hear what I sound like. All right, my voice need to be like this, not all rapping all loud and talking like that. That ain't me. I need to be in pocket. Damn. See, that's how. I, usually, with people that have low register, they do that a lot. They practice Push. and practice. Yeah. yeah, and then they find their zone. That's weird that you knew to to discover that. Even without someone, you know, instructing you to 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 practice on tape. Ain't yeah. that how it is for a drummer too? 
Uh, my shit's different. My shit was more like, there's the basement. Go in there, don't come out until after five hours. Like, it was just... <laughs> it wasn't like, let me find my style. It was more like, yeah, it's better be home right after school. But how do you like, for example, like if I say, give me some Al Green drums, and then give me some James Brown drums. Well, that... See, the thing is... Is that the is that the mic? Even I think even beyond uh, drumming, I am. I mean, I'm a record collector, mm-hmm. and I process information different. So for me, I've discovered that it's really in in the microphone in the mixing. I mentioned the style also. So if you want Al Jackson, and I know that you okay, you want. I'm so glad you're mine or whatever. Then I know, okay, I got to tune this down and all that stuff. Right. But that really just comes from listening to listening to drummers and knowing how to tune my drums to sound like theirs. It's not even a technique. So I, I consider myself more like a mirror than an actual person with the style. Because like, I know that you can get those sounds. It's like I listen to you. I like, okay, he can get any sound he won't. Like the roots, y'all be playing with all kind of sounds. Yeah. Sound I like is when y'all did the. If you don't worry about that, <laughs> that that end drum part. Hey, baby, don't worry. You know that you got me. Hey, thank you, bro. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, Come on yeah, now, yeah, shit. I, yeah, I almost yeah. got talked out of that. The label was like, "Dog, y'all got a hit. Don't do this fancy." The thing was, we we lived in London. We we had exiled to the UK from like 93 to about 97, even though we was living like both in Philadelphia and, and abroad, but we were touring more abroad. And so that's when drum and bass was just starting to pop mm-hmm. off garage and two step and all that stuff. So when I got back to the States, I was like, all right, let me add some of that London shit that I learned, which is weird because outcast and doing bombs over Baghdad, that was their version of that. You know, okay, let's, do what we learned in London, but I tried to do it, and the label like tried to talk me out of it. Like, For real? Nah, radio's not going to play this. You, you're messing it up. So I, I fought. It's the best part. They talked me out of Jill Scott, but I kept the drum and bass. Damn, I was like, all right, we'll crazy, get rid of Jill Scott, man. but I'm <laughs> keeping my drums. Ain't that crazy? Our labels like back then had more say so and could really like come in there and say some shit that you had to do. Well, at that point, we were unproven, and it was just like this was our fourth attempt at trying to make it happen. Even for the proven, they did that. Like mm-hmm. they would come in there and tell a motherfucker on some real shit. It was many times where I sat down with Jimmy Iovine on some good shit, but I liked his perspective. But then sometimes we clashed because I was like, "Nigga, you can't tell me, nigga, you don't know my shit, nigga." <laughs> then like, hold on, this nigga do know, nigga. This nigga didn't work with nigga Bruce Springsteen and John Lennon. <laughs> <laughs> Can you give us an example? <laughs> Can you give us an example of something you two clashed over? Oh man, uh, uh, producers. Really? Yeah. Who did you want to work with that he didn't want you to work with him? Uh, I don't want to say no name, but it was a producer that okay. I really fucking wanted to work with that he didn't really see it, but he kind of saw it. Dylan, no plan. <laughs> no. <laughs> and then. Once we started doing it, he understood. It was for real. Uh, wow. Wait, wait, wow. wait. What? He couldn't see the... You know what, though? I'm going to tell you something. In the beginning... You couldn't see it. Pharrell was a hard sell for me. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah, no, nigga, but here's the, here's the yeah, stupid nah. shit. 
I loved I Can't Make a Mistake by MC Light. I mm-hmm. love that shit. Because mm-hmm. it was loud as shit. But it's almost like there's some unconventional there's some unconventional about the Neptune sound. I think that's what drew me to it. That took me it took me two months to 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 really, really get it and get aboard. And now it's like the weirder their shit is like take like the clip second album. Yeah. The weirder that shit is, the more I'm all for it. You know what I'm saying? But now Neps, they were hard sell. Cause I mean the first my first time I can remember hearing them was on the Mace album, like the looking at me joint. Mm-hmm. And it was you didn't like that? Okay, See, I didn't know, know who yeah. they were. You yeah. feel me? I yeah, was like, I, I what the fuck now, is this? Yeah. But then, like, I think I I got it around like Super Thug, yeah. like Super Thug, and like I mean the, the stuff with Nori, like all that shit got. But I could see the Neptune. So your first one was, was Church of the Palace, right? Police, yeah. No, I think uh, the Chronic's blowing. Uh, it blows my mind. Uh, yeah, yeah, blowing Chronic to me is like a tradition. Tell me, I got the pit down, so sit down and listen to me. Don't go against me, fool. Go with me. And we can blow it all together like Bobby Brown and Whitney. Yeah, we got something in common. Nigga, such a nigga, but they never find him a bomb. And I got the stash spot, my cash got. A lot of motherfucking punk police shot. I'm not the one. Nigga, you can call me the two. Bob Marley reincarnated. Pupils dilated, emancipated. That's enough. <laughs> 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 this is almost like the I'll be sure episode again. Right. Going you get, you get hypnotized in someone's voice. And then a nigga just stopped. A nigga just pulled a plug. Like, thanks, us, dude. I appreciate that. Thank you for fucking over me fast. <laughs> Was it true that Deep Cover, y'all didn't even have the record done before y'all signed the deal to do the. Uh, I like when Suge Knight tell this story. He tell it better than me. What it was, was Dr. Dre was going to the gym, right? And we was in Calabasas at his house living at the time. And um, he gave me a beat, and he was like, this the beat. I want my shit to start off like this. Tonight's the night I get in some shit. Deep cover on the incognito tip. And then he left. So he gave you those four lines. (laughs) Then the nigga left. I'm not making it up. So then Suge called about an hour and a half later. Doggy dog, I'm going to call you back on the phone with the people from Sony. You got the song done? I said, nah, the nigga just told, just gave me the beat and left. What you? What the song about? I don't know what it's about. But the movie is about the undercover police officer. So I'm going to call you back. I want you to, like, freestyle a little bit. And then I want you to get to a certain point, And I'm going to say, all right, cut it off. And you're going to hit the button and cut the music off like everything cut off. And I'm going to call you back. I'm like, all right, come on, big dog. Let's get it. <laughs> and the guy ain't making this shit up, nigga. The nigga called me back. About an hour later, and I had a little bit of it, I had like maybe like four bars of it. So he called back, he like, doggy dog, I got the people on from uh, Sony, they want to hear the song. Oh. Nigga, and I put the beat on, nigga, just start busting and freestyling and going and going, and nigga, like, all right, cut it off. I'm going to call you back. And nigga called me back and said, nigga, write the song, nigga, it's called Deep Cover, it's about an undercover police officer going undercover and selling drugs. I'm like, nigga, my dope case was about me selling dope to an undercover cop in my real life. Whoa, what? Oh, yeah. So I took my real life and put it in deep cover. Wow. And it just so happened it all came, came, came together for around. the That's some crazy And then shit. when we do the song, right, and this is the fucked up part, when we finish it, everybody in the room like this a hit. Only one motherfucker don't like it. Dre. Dr. Dre. <laughs> <laughs> what? He's the only nigga that don't like it. Was he, is he it. like an insatiable perfectionist where like 
Do that, it again. Do it. Do yes, it. Yes, that nigga did not like it. And when the trick was, and they tricked me too. They tricked him too. They was like, "We're gonna do a photo shoot. Here go five hundred dollars. Snoop, go get you something to wear." So I go to the swap meet, give me some khakis, Chicago white socks, jacket with the Long Beach hat. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? I'm like t-shirt and chucks. I'm like, I'm cool. We get to the photo shoot, nigga. It's a video. <laughs> <laughs> So I ain't never been on no video before, so I don't know what the fuck is going on. So now the director, like, he talking to me and Dre, like, all right, uh, Dre, I need you to uh, to act on this scene right here. And Dre, like, shit, I don't do all that. Let that nigga do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, he like, yeah, well, the, you know, and what, what, what the beauty of it is, it was the part I did at the beginning of the song. Yeah. With, mm-hmm. uh, I hit, think you five hit, up, Yeah, right. hit this in front of you, whoop, whoop, that shit. So he was like, do that. But I'm gonna have somebody acting with you. You don't have to do both parts. Right. You just okay. do your part and whoop de wop. So he had the actor come in. Dre just sitting down the whole scene, just just looking. <laughs> I'm like, nigga, you the star, nigga. You got me doing all these lines and this dialogue. And I thought this was a photo shoot, nigga. We ain't doing a motherfucking video. <laughs> How long did it take for you, for Dre to know that in you he had his Greatest discovery. Yeah. That would probably have to be a question he would have to answer. Because I mean, from the first, from the time you met him to the time where he's like, come to the studio. How many? How much time was in between that? At least four years. But I never rapped for him. Wait, what? Wow. I never rapped for him. I, let me tell you how I used to go down. Warren G. and Dre, mother and father were married. Okay. So there would be functions at their house, and Dre would show up. And Warren G had like some turntables in the back, and he would try to always get Dre to come in the back. Like Snoopy can rap, mm-hmm. and you know back then niggas be like they don't want to hear a nigga rap, so he would never be like, "Let me hear some." This NWA era Dre, or nigga, just like this is when the nigga was making. He shot pow pow, I shot brow. Oh shit! As you okay, because he played that for us. He was like, "I want y'all to hear this shit I'm working on." He just played that one particular part mm-hmm. of the song with Easy. He said he shot pow pow. And nigga was like, damn, that shit hard. And then Warren G was like, Snoopy can rap. And I'm like, what the fuck did he say that for? <laughs> and then luckily the nigga didn't say, let me hear something. He was like, oh, okay, all right. And he walked oh, in the word. living room. I was like, yes. <laughs> like, nigga, don't ever tell that nigga I can rap. Nigga, I'm weak. Nigga, I don't want that nigga to hear me. So how did he finally get to you uh, being on Deep Cover? Who who made that connection? Warren G. Um, we had a tape, 213 mixtape. And um, it had a song on there called Super Duper and a song called Gangsta's Life. And the Gangsta's Life song was like a story about me being born. You know, the first day I get born, I go to the liquor store, get arrested. Like, it's like a cold-ass gangster story. Then at the end, my brother ends up becoming a gangster and ended up getting killed. Mm-hmm. So it was like it was a gang-bang-ass story, but it had, like, some positivity. You could see the writing was the next level. So Dre... I guess he liked that style. But the, the how he heard it, they was at a bachelor party and the music cut off. And Warren G used to always go to their parties mm-hmm. and the music cut off. So Warren G slide in my tape when the music go off. Okay. Now the party back rocking. And niggas is like, who was that? And Warren G like, oh, that's uh my homeboy Snoopy and whoop de whoop whoop whoop. So Drake like, oh, nigga, that shit sound hard, nigga. Let me. And then that's how he heard it. From watching the reaction of the people. Okay. 
and having the ear at the same time, probably hearing my voice, hearing the delivery, the way, like I say, the song was structured. It was one of my best structured songs. Uh, is that tape available? Yeah, it is. <coughs> it is? Yeah, it is. Okay. I can get you that Gangsta's Life. I can get you the original version. Yeah. And it was a version that we did with Nate Dogg on it after we was on Piss and everything. Okay, great. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So from the time that y'all got into, um, after you do Deep Cover, how did the transition go from Deep Cover to Death Row? Oh, when we did Deep Cover, we didn't have no money. We was just... Well, that was also on Solar, right? Solar. Yeah, Dick we, we made it at Solar Records, exactly. Did you have any interactions with Dick Griffey yes, whatsoever? Sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Dick Griffey used to give us money to, for chicken wings and <laughs> got us our first apartment when we was living next door to Calvin from 227. Quit acting like y'all didn't watch that show. Yo, 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 like, exactly. Yo, was he Calvin? Though it was Calvin. No, I'm saying, was it Calvin at the time? Was he Calvin? He was still. Nah, that was no, that was after was Calvin, no right? No, that's after like Calvin. Home. But he was yeah. always gonna be Calvin. Okay. When your family around, you're never alone. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney Collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.
Y'all play too much. Y'all watch too much black television. Watched it all. When you can get it, you watch it. No, hell yeah. <laughs> syllable. You should have heard us in here singing the Amen theme song earlier. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We to run yeah. that. That right. shit was genius. Shine on the light of heaven, Oh, God. Shine on me. Shine on the light from heaven, Lord. Shine on me. Shine on me. Shine on me. What are the fucking words? Anyone? No, I dare no you. No I yeah. dare you. That's what? worse than good times. That's awful. Like for real. We, we, well, we, we know so. Easy Credit Ripoff. Hey, who was singing that shit on the light? Homegirl that was on the lead was. Wasn't cold. that one of the sisters? I think, I think it was, that was Ross one of the sisters. Ross Ryan. Ross Ryan. Yeah. 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 That was Ross Ryan. Were, yeah, I'm almost. 100% that was one of the, the sisters, right? From Amy. Yeah. 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 Oh, her mercy was cold. I did not know that. She had a deal back in the 70s. Mm. Yeah. So y'all was next door to Calvin. <laughs> yeah, this, this, now watch this. Dick Griffey got his apartment. Well, they say Death Row got it, but Dick Griffey got it because they ain't had no motherfucking money at the time. So Dick Griffey got his apartment, right? So the apartment was in Rage name because she the only one that had credit. So, <laughs> oh, wow. so, hey, Rage. Wait, all of y'all so living So me, there? Rage, and Warren G was living in a, a one-bedroom apartment, and Rage had a dog named uh, uh, Buster. We all stayed in that one bedroom apartment on Third and Detroit Street, and we used to walk from Third and Detroit all the way to sixteen hundred Kawanga. That's a long. That's a long ass walk. Yes, every day to the studio, and then we go to Popeye's Chicken if we had like five or ten dollars, get a few wings, and try to figure it out. Instead, me don't. We're gonna split that last wing. I'm gonna take this part. <laughs> you take the whistle. <laughs> Yo, this is the Jimmy Jam story all over again. Yeah, it is. That's how they shit was? Yeah. They came out to LA with th- what, 300 bucks yeah. and a Casio machine. Because when they made the, the, the Hard Times beat for uh, Captain, Captain Rap. Rap. From Captain Rap. They made that beat? Yes. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yes. <laughs> they came. How the fuck they make that beat? They yeah. got made Janet Jackson. They got fired from the time. And then Terry Lewis is like, yo, it's either do or that die. Let's go back stupid. to LA. Boom. Yeah. Boom. Damn, on his Casio machine. Like a motherfucker on that shit. <laughs> yeah. They came Terry out there with, and Terry Lewis. with $300 each and some suits. Yeah. <laughs> and they lived off of chicken wings and milkshakes. Mm, mm, mm. And sold that beat. And that's, you know. It's history, right? 30 million albums later. But see how they moved on and he didn't? And they were just the production, mm-hmm. and he was the face, the voice, the the whole nine. But they moved on. Yeah, they probably had more drive. Yeah. Well, they had something to prove, you know. Yeah, they had more drive. Well, you shouldn't have fired us, nigga. <laughs> oh, nigga, you gonna fire me? I got a rap song that's hot right now, right. nigga. Wait till I get a hold of Janet, nigga. And funny how time flies. When I get <laughs> <laughs> oh, that Story Prince, uh, what uh, threw, threw threw control out the out the car window in the Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy, Jam's, Jimmy Jam's house and th- threw it at Jimmy Jam's uh, mom's crib. Why? <laughs> control album. Oh, after it was done. Yeah, yeah. yeah after it was out. Why? Because he, he's petty like that. Yeah. Like yeah, when you leave him, even if you fire him, if you leave me, well, like Prince, no disrespect, but you know you couldn't fuck with that album, nigga. <laughs> 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 nigga, she was all grown up, nigga. When I was 17, I did what people told me. <laughs> did what my mother said and let my mother scold me. What the mold see, I see. Mold. That was whatever. I'm in control. Yeah, now. This is going to be a hard to clear episode. <laughs> we got time. It's August. <laughs> we got time. <laughs> 
Christmas and all songs. No, it is Christmas. Or should I ask one? No, it's Christmas in August. Anyway. All right. So, in in the beginning, I mean, at the time, did you even envision that this would happen? Like, what was around the corner? Or was it just like, all right, we're going to work on this one song and then, you know. You know, you don't really know. I don't know. You don't know how big it could be. When did you realize that something's about to happen? When I was on the box. Ah, uh, uh, remember the box? Nigga, the box was the shit, nigga. When you oh the call joint, right? Nigga, the girls come over. You one just... day that motherfucker came on like fifty times, back to back to back. And this to is G thing. thing. Yeah. Doom, mm, mm, mm. Hey, uh, where y'all going today, Dre? Can I go with y'all? You know when dads run down the mm-hmm. step, they right. showing the same shit just over and over again. Over and over again, it's just getting requested. And then they show you what's the next video coming on. And yeah. I'm like, damn, I'm popping. And I was staying with my cousin on the couch. And I woke up on her couch and she was like, nigga, you a star. I'm like, I'm a star? She's like, yeah, nigga, your video came on like all day and night. And I was on the couch like, damn, this our star is? You ain't got no money. <laughs> Yo. I'm on your couch. You want to know something? <laughs> you know you sampled my parents, right? What? You didn't? My mom and my dad. Yeah. Oh. My mom and my dad. Just chill <laughs> to the next episode. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? It's my mom and my dad. And then the yeah. Mark the other side. Yeah. back on that ass with the hell of five gangster lean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I came off of mom's and back like Yo, that. <laughs> This is funny shit. So when the shit would come on the box in Philly, and I heard that, that was like, yo, me and Tariq lost it. Like, cause y'all knew. Yo, that's your mom and dad. Yeah, we was. It was like we won the lottery ticket. <laughs> we no, that record like, was a fucking big record, man. I know. Yeah, a big, big record, man. For real, man. How did y'all never have this conversation? I don't. That's it's the first time. Y'all. Y'all done known each other for... <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it, I don't want to introduce like, yeah, you said yeah, my parents. Mom, <laughs> I forgot. No, until now, later. until you said G-Thing, I was like, G-Thing. Oh, shit, I forgot. My mom, my dad. Yeah. But that ain't what I wrote G-Thing off of. Really? No, I know. The, the the bitches ain't shit. No, I wrote it off of... Really? The um, Southside... It's called Southside. So it's that was the initial beat for G thing. That's what that's the beat he gave me, and I took it on Tenth and Lime on my over my cousin's house, and I wrote the whole G thing song to that. Came back to the studio and bust that shit off of that for him. Ah, yeah, okay. Bring to the folk. Snoop Doggy Dogg and Dr. Drake is at the dope. Ready to make an entrance, so back on up. Cause you know we got to rip shit up. Give me the microphone first so I can bust like a bubble. Compton and Long Beach together, now you know you're in trouble. Cause ain't nothing but a cheek thing. Baby. Two loped out niggas, so it's crazy. And Death Row is the label that pays me. We done fadeable, so please don't try to fade. Hell yeah. That nigga was winning. Hell yeah. Man, can you describe, so like break down what was kind of the division of labor in the studio between like Daz, Dre, Nate, uh, Corrupt, you know what I'm saying? Like what was kind of each person's job? Was one person better at hooks or so than the other or like how did y'all work? 
and DOC because DOC he was uh, for the Chronic right. as well. Yeah. Well, DOC was like the guy that he was like the sensei. You had to the rap had to pass his. I fuck with it before Dre would fuck with it. Okay. Like those the ears that Dre trusted most was his. You know, with everything. Remember, he had just came off of the Easy album, the NWA album, where he wrote all of that shit. He wrote a lot of that NWA niggas for life shit. Listen to them styles and all that. Always into something and all that. So he was Dre's most trusted ear, and he was a vet. So we was trying to impress DOC. And then once we impressed DOC, then he would work with us accordingly. Okay. Like, and then I attracted to him more because I moved in with DOC. Okay. Like, he became, like, my real sensei, and everybody else was like, not under us, but they were like playing their roles accordingly. Like Corrupt was like the assassin. Rage was like the hard female. Jewels had the singing vocals. Nate Dogg would come in with the hook, but that's where Dr. Dre was like Phil Jackson, like oh, okay. a great coach that can take everybody on the team and make them valuable. Like everybody was valuable. Wasn't nobody more valuable than nobody. He made everybody valuable. When that song came on with Nate's voice, you loved it. When it came on with Dad's voice, you loved it. When it came on with Corrupt, you loved it. When it came on with me, you loved it. Because he, he knew how to put everybody in positions to make them strong. And to me, that, that was the strength of the team, that Dr. Dre was the visionary. Like, it wasn't us. We just was raw. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just a bunch of raw motherfuckers that was bringing it to the table. But he had to clean the table up and set the table, prepare the meal. You know, and he knew what people liked, so he had the ingredients to put it all together. He knew what the rock was that was a diamond. We didn't know. We just was rocks trying to, you know, click like. Yeah. Was the the 16 songs that make up the chronic, I mean, were those the only, the specific 16 that you worked on, or was it was the chronic like a, a combination of 40 or 50 songs worked on, and then we'll pick the best of the lot, and this is the album? I say it was probably 25 songs at the most. There was one song that we really liked that didn't make it. it was called Ho Hopper. I really <laughs> wanted it on there. It went like, you know I like pussy, so you can call me a hound. So here's the name I go by when I'm rolling around the Ho Hopper. Tell your friends, bitch. All your friends, bitch. I give it to you smooth, ho, can't you see? Then when you need some dick, bitch, call on me, the whole hopper. Tell your friends, bitch, the whole <laughs> hopper. All your friends, bitch. Wow. <laughs> Wait a Dr. minute. Dr. Dre was on one on that one. <laughs> uh, he didn't make the, the cut. <laughs> why did that not make the cut? I don't Man. know. Look, yeah. Dr. Was he the worst Tucker around this period? Or <laughs> just... Dr. Dre was on some real shit. Like, he would let us make any fucking kind of song we wanted. Who would write <laughs> the hooks? Because the... The thing that I didn't appreciate until much later was just how effortless you guys were with hooks and B parts. Like even you could take parts G that weren't the hooks. Yeah, you could take any four bars out of G thing and that to be yeah. a hook for another song. Right. So I never <laughs> until we started until like you know writer's block catches and you'd realize like how effortless that shit sounds. So it's like. How, I don't know, how. Uh... I think the thing was, when it came to like that kind of shit, we just went. We just threw it in the air. And then, like I said, that's when it was people like Dre who knew how to take it. Because bitches ain't shit but hoes and tricks. That was Corrupt's first, that was the start of his verse. His verse started like that. 
Bitches ain't shit but hoes and trick. And I lump on the coot to make a big bump to the store. And Dr. Dre said, nah, nigga, that's the hook. And he made bitches ain't shit but hoes and tricks. Bitches ain't shit but hoes and tricks. Right. So it's like corrupt wrote the hook, but didn't know it was a hook. You get what I'm saying? Like that's what the our shit was so good to where we would always write the hook within the song, but it was somebody's job to find that. Like we didn't know that all the time. Like we didn't know that, damn, this was the hook. But Nate Dog and Jewels was probably the only ones that knew what the hook was, because they was definitely writing for the hook. But everybody else was just writing. So you in the just hook. come with the pile of verses, and then they would come in and just take it, it apart. It would fit. Certain times it would fit. Like, certain songs, a motherfucker, just, it just fit in place. Was it a certain time? We we talked uh, last night. We've had a couple of people on the show that always talk about the Night of the Source Awards. And one thing I was always curious, just to hear from you, like, what was going through your mind like when you got on stage? My, I remember watching it because at the time I was like, "This is what 95? I was ninety-five. I was 95. I was like fifteen or sixteen, and like I watched it. And so then the next day, everybody, you know, we in high school around the lunch table and shit. And so everybody was like, "Well, man, Snoop, I can't believe like he was so mad. Like that's the fuck what Snoop said." And me, I always looked at it as I said, "Man, I don't know if it's necessarily anger. I, said, I think it might be anger." Give him I respect. I said, "But man, yeah, give him his respect." I said, "Come on, man." I said. Each and every one of us got Doggy Style and I Walkman right now. Like, everybody's bumping this shit. Like, we love this nigga. How, imagine how fucked up it feel to be a dude that is respecting the art of hip-hop, making incredible fucking records, and you come to the place that you got so much reverence for, and they piss on you. I said, man, that's, like, for real. You know what I mean? So I was always curious to hear, like, what was going through your mind when, you know, I ain't got no love for Snoop Dogg? Well... I was in the moment. The moment was more about what Sugar said. It wasn't about nothing else but that. Because mm-hmm. New York respected us, and they respected me. And they gave me that because I gave them that. I came in the game saying that this is the Mecca, and I respect and appreciate everybody before me. When I met them, I bowed down. I treated them with love and respect. So it was a, a feeling was mutual when I spoke. Because I didn't speak from a, a point of view of, I want to fuck y'all up. Mm-hmm. I spoke from the perspective of, we know where we at. Nobody should get fucked up based off of the fact that we all gangsters in here. So what we got to prove is we know where we at. We know where we from. This ain't the time and place for that. It was some dialogue that was needed. It wasn't planned. It wasn't. It just was needed. And my calling, you know what I'm saying? Like, to me, that was my calling. Like, this your moment, dog, to step into that role of being a leader and being a, a role model and being a peace advocate for hip-hop that you're going to end up being 10 years from that day. Because 20 years after that day, me and Dr. Dre was on stage at that same building doing a show. And Puffy was there, too. And we all performed together. And then we were just thinking back of how it was based off of comments and small shit, but we always loved each other, but we never could show it because the bullshit. Yeah, we had Steve Stout on like not too long ago, and he kind of echoed what you said. He was like, "Man, when Snoop got up there, he said you actually kind of calmed things down a little bit." Like, if you didn't calm things down, then it would have been a whole yeah, it would have been even worse. Part, I ran right? out. If if I didn't say nothing, some nah. niggas some niggas would have died that night. Yeah. Nah, Nas said it perfectly on the uh, defiant ones. He said something to the effect that you know when Snoop got up there, 
he said the right shit because at that point, when they first got there, it was New York versus New York. It was borough versus borough. But when Suge said what he said, he made it New York versus them niggas. And then when Snoop got up there and said what he said, a lot of New York niggas had love for Snoop and just couldn't see themselves just taking off on him for something that this nigga said. So it was like, it was it was that deep and that detrimental because these was real street niggas. These wasn't like record label executives or <laughs> managers or agents or my, the, the, the production guys. This was niggas <laughs> that nigga just got out. Right. He just got out 15 minutes ago. He been in 20 years. He ain't got no money. He looking to do something so he can get on the payroll. Like, everybody had 40 of them niggas with them. Like, imagine that time in the early 90s how hip-hop was. when You had to have 100 niggas in your entourage. That just was part of how you was. Like, whether you wanted it or not. Like, even the Roots had 100 niggas with them. (laughs) We couldn't afford that. But (laughs) when you have a large entourage, like, hotel bills, like, how were y'all, y'all were torn during that period. How were y'all handling just the basic shit? Flights. My first 15 years of touring, I can say this, and I ain't ashamed to say it. I probably made like 15% of my tour money. Because of everything you had to cover as far as flights and hotels? Yeah. 15% of my tour money is what I made my first 15 years. Because I would have 30 niggas on the road, everybody was getting paid, and this and that, and then I wouldn't look back until the end of it, and... They'd be like, well, you 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 uh you grossed this amount and you netted this amount and the well, goddamn, <laughs> everybody on tour and enjoying life except me. Man, it's a business, man. All right, y'all. You know what season it is? Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. 
It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. I got I to jump to the the real white elephant in the room, which to me is the dog father. Okay. Uh, I got to jump to that. Do you, do you feel that the dog father has gotten his proper just due respect because for some reason... I don't think the world realizes how incredible that shit was when it came out. And the fact that it's still timeless late, like, you know, was it 20 years later? Yeah, yeah, yeah. about 22 years. Yeah, it was 96. Yeah, like, what What are your personal opinions on your follow-up? When I first came out with it, I was getting a lot of hate and a lot of like, oh, it ain't. Doggy style, drain, do this, and why it ain't this and that. And it used to fuck with me a little bit. And then I used to go out and do shows, and then fans would bring me the album to sign. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's a cold twist when they like niggas talking about you, but then a fan bring three copies of Doggy Style and two copies of Dog Father and say, Can you sign these? Can you sign these? And I'm looking like, Damn, if I'm signing Dog Father, that means they bought it. And then I started doing songs from the Dogfather on stage, Snoop's Upside Your Head. A big fucking record. Charlie Wilson started rolling with me. Me and Charlie became like this. So it was blessings that came out of that that they was making happen and didn't even know that they was making happen. Then we went overseas to Europe, and I toured in Europe, and the record was so big over there mm-hmm. to where it's like it solidified me as a, a, a artist that was going to be here on the follow-up tip. So it was just in America where it was a lot of not covering it the right way or saying the right things. I remember Biggie had got killed. Tupac had got mm. killed. Biggie's album came out. Tupac's album came out. So they just like drowned me out on some, oh, this nigga ain't gangbanging no more. He just beat a murder case. He's a family man now. He's soft now. He be happy now. Look at him. He rapping about happy shit, doggy <laughs> land. I had a song called Doggy Land that was a song about peace, love, and nobody dying. And just a beautiful record that yeah. was about doggy land. And, Niggas didn't understand it. They're like, nigga, that's soft. Nigga, I'm like, what? Living life is soft? <laughs> like, I don't need to be with you niggas. If y'all, death is cool, nigga. Nigga, I'm going to die, nigga. That shit hard, nigga. How you going to die? I'm going to blaze a bullet, yeah. nigga. The hard way, nigga, like a Western movie. Fuck that, nigga. I want to die, nigga, sipping on some coffee, nigga, laying in bed, <laughs> 97, 80 years old. You know what I'm saying, me? Yeah. What was it like? Uh, I was always curious to know the transition from death row to no limit and like being with being under somebody like Suge versus somebody like P. What was P like as a businessman? Um, Suge was a great businessman, first and foremost, let me say that. Very strong, very uh shrewd, got to it like he do it. Um, did a lot of things that was, you know, groundbreaking for the industry that I see a lot of niggas doing now. But when I got with Master P, he was more of a um he was a finesser. Like, I wanna shake hands with him. Bump shoulders with him, do business with him, be executive. I want to own shit. I want to be a part of the executive branch and not just the, you know, employee side of it. And then he passed it on. You know, he was one of those informative guys that, hey, put this in your name. Hey, get you a bank account. Hey, get you some credit cards. Hey, get you some property. Hey, get you some this. Like, get you a record label. Get you some clothing, a clothing line. Like, all the shit I did... 
was by being with him. He showed me how to do it. And oh, I went expand your brand. and Right. Okay. That's so dope. And don't be afraid. They laughed at him in the beginning. They used to laugh at him. I used to watch him laugh, laugh, laugh. Mm -hmm. Then when I signed with No Limit, like, I'm not saying I made the laughs go away, but all the laughs was gone after that. Yeah. And niggas was I like, paid attention. Like, this nigga really yeah. is a businessman. He really sharp. Because my first album with them paid the cost to be the boss. Two million records in America, two million records overseas. Then we put out a movie called The Game of Life, and he sold it for 19.95, and it sold two million copies. You do the fucking math. Yeah. And he made all the fucking money. Yeah. Wasn't no middleman, none of that shit. That was shit. the thing about Master P and nobody really re-emphasized it. It wasn't no rap. It wasn't no money in rapper until No Limit came. And I say that honestly. There wasn't no rappers making no money until No Limit. Niggas was getting crumbs and a little bit negotiating and fighting with record labels and artists and management. Master P cut all that shit out. He was the what Suge should have been. The less violent, more business approach. And he shared information. Yes. All of the above. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, man. From the time that you went from, because after you did the three records on No Limit, and then three album deal, five million dollars. <laughs> no, I, I can say that now respectfully because you know I'm like an athlete. I wanted to put that contract out there so in case you niggas want a new three album deal, it's gonna be way more than that now. Yeah, the last meal that was my. Um, I mean, I like No Limit talk about too. Did the records get better for you as I got them? No, they got absolutely better. Because yeah. the first one I didn't, I was like, uh, right, but. No Limit Top Dog and Last Meal, them just whammer. You see, but you know what my mind state was, was there. I started grabbing my mind state. The first record, you know what I did? I said, P, do with me whatever you want to do. Nigga, I'm Dr. I'm Dr. Frankenstein. Nigga, I'm going to lay on the table and let you go ahead and put me together the way you think because y'all hot right now and this is your label and you got Snoop Dogg as your artist, nigga. Go to work. You just paid for this, nigga. This going to be your record forever. You got a Snoop Dogg record. My third solo record is yours. So he did it. Second record, I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I got the joystick back. Yeah. yeah all right, yeah. I'm going back to the West. Man, okay, speaking of joystick, the 213 album. Yes. Right. Why is that not out, like, on streaming or whatever? Yeah. Man, we didn't get no love for the 213 album, man. Wow. We And Warren G pushed that shit so hard, I don't know what. I love that record. I love, man. I Only girl, motherfucking joystick. Cool you gotta record, find a way. Yeah, yes. find a way. Hell Nigga yeah. Nigga gotta find, find a way. way. Yes. Find a I way to man, I don't know. Money. I don't know what goes on with. And then I'm watching music nowadays. Like that's a hit. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> he said the same thing 25 times. Oh my god. Did they? Um, when you end up uh, doing, I'm jumping to your. Uh, well, first I want to go to your Snoop Line record. Mm -hmm. Um, what moved you in that direction? Like, what was going on in your life at that time that made you want to go there? Man. Um, I just love reggae music, and I was like, you know what, every time I go to Jamaica, I always just go to my room, smoke weed, and do the show and leave. I never get to explore Jamaica, I never get to see it. I'm like, fuck that, I want to see Jamaica, because these niggas love me over here, and I love them. So I said, I'm going to set up a trip where I'm going to go over there for 30 days and just live over there, get with some producers, called up Diplo, Major Laser. Look, y'all going to do my whole record, called up Vice. Vice was a magazine company at the time that was creating content, and I was like, look, I want y'all to come shoot this shit for me because I like how y'all be doing on-location shit in dangerous neighborhoods and dangerous areas, and this shit is dangerous because Chris Coke had just went to jail, oh, yeah. which oh. was Dudas. So I said, I want to go meet that nigga family. I want to, nigga, I went, they took me everywhere. And so by me going all into these areas, which this is the real nigga that I am, I love to explore, I go to the Nyabingi Temple. 
And when I go there, the spirit is in me. I can't even fake it. When I walk in the temple, it's a lady about 90 years old. She, as soon as I walk in, she like, the prodigal son has returned. I don't even know what she's saying. What? She's like, the prodigal son has returned. The prodigal son has returned. I don't even know what this means at the time. She grabbed me by my hands and she started praying with me. And they like the whole room just collapsed on me. Like, it, it, it was crazy for me. It's crazy. It's the, the whole spirit, then we walked around the fire. Fire was burning. Me and my wife, we holding hands. Long story short, when we leave, my wife didn't eat no meat from that day on. That was 2010. Word. From that day on. And, and I took on a new peaceful approach. I ain't been in tour with no niggas. I ain't got it. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. and that she used to always was be an like, epiphany for come you. on, man. Awakening. Is that kind of what led to your gospel record? First, let me just say, the gospel record is jamming. Yes. That shit jamming like a motherfucker. I don't know if I should say that <laughs> about a gospel album. I don't know if that matched. <laughs> but, that nigga did not just say that shit jamming like a motherfucker. That nigga, that gospel album hard, nigga. Nah, this shit's hard. And I, but the thing I liked about it is that like, you got like real, you got the real OGs. Yeah. Like you had Rance Allen on the shit. And I mean, that's like, how did you put all that together? First of all, shout out to my homeboy, Lonnie. Lonnie Burrell. He was one of the main instruments to putting this project together. Um, I had a dream and a wish list of making my grandmother proud of me. When my grandmother was here, she would always, you know, talk to her friends and people about me, but she could never talk about my music. And um, I always wanted to make something that she could be proud of, that she could hear, and that her friends or church friends could really, you know, be proud of. So when she passed away, I was like, you know what, that's my mission. I've been always talking about doing it. I'm just going to do it. And I just went in there and did it and started calling all of the people that I wanted to be on it and expressed to them why I wanted them on it, what I was doing. And um, they already loved my spirit as I before that. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to do it now. We've been following you, brother. We've been with you. You know, we got you. What you need? I need, uh, need you to sing something on there, Brother Rance. <laughs> uh, Clark Sisters, I need y'all to do something on there. Uh, Kim Burrell. You do some uh, Fred Hammond, uh, John P. Key. Yeah, now you um, got all the G's. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it was incredible. And seeing it at the Essence Festival, that knocked me out. That was Thank crazy. You, bro. That was I felt like that the, was the right moment for that. Too. That was the best thing I've ever seen. That was amazing. Great moment, brother. We what think. Oh, oh. Uh, we gotta wrap oh, up. Okay, uh, damn. I was Not yet. Let's do ten more minutes. Oh, all right. We did. I was just letting you well, know. You know. <laughs> they was telling us the rap. They was. We was getting the rap, rap. Yeah. Doing what we was told. Y'all oh. doing, doing good. I like when the shit is good. I break rules. Oh, thank you, thank you, <laughs> thank Lord you. Jesus. Man, I really appreciate that. Thank you, thank you. All right, sensual seduction. Yes, mm. yes, yes, that's one yes. of the. Like, I, I want to say you have one of the only like rap records or records in hip hop <laughs> that I like the clean version better than I like oh, the dirty version. I'm dead ass. seduction. Yeah, Brooklyn Zoo's the other one. Brooklyn, oh yeah, Brooklyn Zoo. Brooklyn Zoo is dope too. Clean Brooklyn Zoo. But yeah, so talk about that record because the uh, cat that did that, uh, Shardy Red. Red. Shardy Red, he was so talented, man, and um, he did like a lot of shit for Jeezy. Yeah, he was on some gangster shit. He was like real one of them gangster producers, right? So um, he was one of my little nephews, and he was like, "Unk, I got a song, but it ain't gangster." And I think <laughs> I think it's I think it's for you. And he played it for me, and he was he was he was doing everything that, that I was doing, but he wasn't like. He didn't put that thing on it. He just like just laid it, mm -hmm. and I was like, I'm gonna put that T Pain on it, but I ain't gonna put all of that T Pain. I'm gonna put a little drip of T Pain with my real voice. Then I'm gonna put like a vocoder and twist him this way so that when when you hear him, he ain't too robotic like them. Cause I didn't want to sound like 
everybody that sounds like on auto-tune. I wanted some of my voice to overwhelm the auto-tune because I feel like I got a nice voice that could blend with that. Yeah. yeah. And that was the key. And then watch this. When I do it, I take it to the label, and it's a motherfucking white boy up there. And he like, let me mix it. I'm like, hell no. <laughs> he like, he like Nick, let me mix this motherfucker. I know what it needs. Give it here. So we kind of clashed for a minute, and I end up letting him mix it, right? When he mix it, I call him. I'm like, man, you a bad motherfucker. <laughs> motherfucker named Ron Fair. Ah, oh, Ron, okay. wait. Oh, my God. That was the last name I was expecting. Yeah, yeah wow. see, this is, look, 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 yeah, yeah. request, you got to, you dealing with Snoop Dogg. You dealing with ignorant-ass Snoop Dogg. You ain't dealing with the nigga right now to, hey, okay, you're, you're sure, whatever. You dealing with the nigga, who the fuck is the, you, nigga? How you going to tell me how to motherfucking mix my song, the way you, The way you built it up is just that we've had a few episodes where Ron's names come up. And it, wasn't too, and it wasn't too savory. So he was like, nigga named Ron Fair. I was like, oh, God. Yes. He's haunting us. Yes. And that nigga mixed the shit out of it, the dog shit out of it. Because I could play the mix before he mixed it. He made it a fucking big record. Like, the shit that he did was just making my voice and the music and the way. Uh, right. Because uh, mm-hmm. it fooled everybody. When we heard it, I, I, my jaw dropped. Like, oh, shit. Yeah, that shit go hard. It was an instant classic. Yeah. Yeah. See, that was on a record that I think Pharrell was that a record Pharrell produced or was that ego tripping? That was ego, ego tripping. tripping. It was okay, ego that tripping. was me, Teddy Riley, and Quick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. On that record. Was Knots on that record? You worked with like Knots is yep. my homie. He was yep. like, that's the dude. Knots the shit. How did y'all hook up, man? Because he's Virginia and so That's something about me in Virginia. I got a uh, a real bond with with Virginia, man. I fuck with the Virginia crowd. I don't know why or how, but it's just like we just magical when we together. It's been like that from Timberland to Pharrell to Knots, even the nigga Drum, like Teddy Riley. Teddy Riley, like I just fucks with it, like. And then and I never looked for it. It was like, oh, I'm gonna go fuck with some niggas from Virginia. The shit just fall in place like that. Like it yeah. just happens like that. And every time it happens like that, it's like it's some magical shit. And then I find out this nigga from Virginia too. It's something in the water, man. Y'all cold, man. Yeah, you um, also had like the only for a long time. You had the only D'Angelo feature. Yeah, yeah. The Imagine that the uh, Imagine off. Yes. Shout out oh, to Blue An- Party Treatment. I think. Shout out yeah. to Angie Stone. Oh my God! For going to get him. That Angie Stone song. Because y'all don't understand how hard it was to get him. No, I think I think Plus loved that. I don't understand. Wait, not even point to Steve. I don't even want to hear too, y'all yeah. stories. I'm gonna tell mine, nigga. That's my podcast. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Because I know y'all got a million of them. I'm gonna give y'all mine, nigga. So we call a nigga, right? Everybody's scared to call him. Give me the motherfucking phone. D'Angelo. Yeah, what's up, nigga? Yeah, he he like, hey, nigga, this Snoop, nigga, what's happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, nigga, I need them vocals, cuz it's already wrote. Pooh Bear done wrote the shit. All you gotta do is just sing the shit, nigga. You understand me? Angie gonna be there with you. She take him to the studio. He listen to it. He like it. He go to the car. She come back. He left. Whoa! Break you off part two. (laughs) (laughs) Next day, he comes in. He sings two lines, and then he leaves. What? You should be here, part two. <laughs> Fourth day, Pooh Bear, go sing all of that shit and have that nigga up under you, and we're going to blend y'all voice together because this nigga keep ripping and running. You serious? <laughs> Listen to it. Wow. It's, it's him on two tracks and Pooh Bear as a rap. He's talking about Pooh Bear from 1500, right? Is that, was he no, on? he used oh. to be with Scott Storch. Oh, that one. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. He used to write for Justin T- uh, Bieber. 
Mm. Yeah, but that was the, wow. you know, I had to, me and my conversation with him and then Angie, she pulled it all together. Like, that's why I got to give her a shout out because she was instrumental on, I'm going to get him, I'm finna make it happen. And like, she was really a soldier, you understand me? Like, going to make shit happen, man. What what year was that? 2003? Yeah, me and Four? Dr. Dre. 2006? Yeah. Well, the album came out in 2006. Yeah, that that sounds just about right, man. Does it? Like, you have to, well, you know Raphael's story, right? About the, about the like video? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He physically got on the plane, plane to grab and D'Angelo. knocked on his door. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> grabbed him. To make him come to the video shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Every generation needs one. It's fine. Man. It's fine. It's fine. What? <laughs> to, 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 to spend Wh- 70000 on a private jet? Whoever D is, every generation needs one, is all I'm saying. Uh, I'm, I'm cool, bro. <laughs> and then. I just feel uh, good. Another D'Angelo story. Uh oh. Me, Biggie, Puffy. A couple of my cousins, we in New York for a D'Angelo concert. Supposed to get on at 9. Mm-hmm. 12.30, we out there still smoking. Mm-hmm. One in the morning, me and Biggie fall asleep. <laughs> 2.30, the nigga finally hit the stage and do five songs and leave. Wow. <laughs> wow. And didn't even do the one I liked. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds This nigga didn't do right. doubles, boy. Nick, you didn't do... Yeah. Man. What's it like? You work. It's another one of my homeboys you work with a lot, Denon Porter. Ooh, Mr. What's Porter. What's it like with him, man, in the studio? D12. Mm. Like, me and Detroit got a cold, cold, cold twist, too. Denon, like, I discovered him off of, like, niggas not taking his beats. Like, he's the nigga on the sideline, and I'm listening to that nigga beats, like, oh, they don't want that? They don't want that? He didn't want that? Get here. <laughs> and you can stay on the hook, nigga. Yep, yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that's the kind of nigga I am. I ain't the kind of nigga to be like, oh, man, it sounds awesome if we can get uh, Chris Brown or maybe Jeremiah to sing this right. <laughs> <laughs> nigga, you sung the hook, nigga. Stay on there, nigga. We're going to see if you can become something, nigga. Yeah, her, him and uh, my own girl, Tone Treasure. Oh, they, Tone, they like nigga, tone, what? Tone for Tone. Oh, nigga, what? Yeah. Nigga, I got hits with her. Yeah, been around the world. Hits. Uh, yeah. Hits. She go, 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 go. That is one of the most talented females I've ever worked with in the studio. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. So, so Snoop, where you at musically right now? Because you didn't done pretty much everything. I'm yeah, trying like, to think in my head. Have you, you done, done country? Yet? I couldn't remember. Mm. I feel like you country. have. Yeah, I feel like a Willie a record Snoop was made. record coming yeah. out in two seconds. A Snoop and Willie like, record actually might be yeah, I mean, a bluegrass. I can see that. <laughs> I don't like where you, where you at. Well, I have a couple of things that I'm working on. Right? Bluegrass has a lot of connotations. It does. I like that. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. That, that yeah. Bluegrass. Yeah. That, that would be dope. Yeah. That you got to come to North Carolina to do that it, That may happen. <laughs> but right now, I just finished the EP with uh, Dave East. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. We did okay. a nice little EP together, East Side Stories. Cool shit. Five, six little songs. Dame. Well, Dame. <laughs> Dame, Dame Funk, too. I was thinking you said East oh. Side Stories. The East Siders. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Trady Goldilocks. Yeah, what's, what's going on with him? I got I got a new single that I just did for them for the Meet the Blacks 2 soundtrack. I may want to play it for y'all in the studio, let y'all get a whiff of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But it's gonna be the lead single off of the Meet the Blacks 2 soundtrack produced by Battle Cat. Yes! yes. Uh, Yo, okay. That's what I do. I learned. Learn. He's going. He's going to ask more questions. Don't look at the clock, listen, nigga. Keep talking. Man, listen, we scared to death, man. Whoa, whoa. I'm letting Fonte go. I'm, look, I'm, look, I'm look. the lookout. Okay. <laughs> hey, Quest, miss the clock. I, I push pause on it. Don't worry about it. Do your okay. 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 Yo, Yo, you told him to walk away because I'm scared to death. <laughs> All right, y'all, you know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app 
trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid back appeal and down home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Talk <laughs> about Battle. He is just another one of those dudes that just yeah. so battle, underrated, battle, so battle unsung, Cat is man. an unsung hero. Like Dude, yes, he is. Battle Cat is like Dr. Dre on steroids to me mm-hmm. because, you know, he's always been that, that, that spot to fill in the blank. When Dre is on hiatus for making music, Battle Cat always filling the blank spots with some good music that feel good, that yeah. got great bottom, that yeah. got great musical arrangement, nice singing. So it's like, you know, he fills in the blank. And he does his part because he is a part of Uncle Jam's army. Yeah. So he's been around since the get around. And he produced Domino's first album. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We were talking about that and earlier. That East Side is album, too. Just yeah. respect for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. G'd yeah. up, G'd up bro. Woo. We did that at my house Word. in Claremont. Like, that's when we used to make records in my living room, like on some real shit. Like, Trady and Goldie Lope from two different neighborhoods. Goldie from my neighborhood, 20 Crip, and Trady from that same. <clears throat> and we all started together. When the Fresh Fest was happening, we was all together. Then an incident happened where they separated. Mm-hmm. And this was like us bringing it back together again on the music tip and putting the hood back together. So when we put the East Siders together, it was a movement in the streets mm-hmm. that really was the, the real movement on. We ain't killing each other no more. Man, you please tell me there's an unreleased album or something coming out. Brother, where is Latoya Williams? Oh, I was going <laughs> to ask about her. Bruh. <laughs> Aretha Franklin just passed away. Rest in peace, Aretha. That was like the closest thing to her. Yeah. Straight up. Like Straight I always up. said, I never made a, re- a record with Aretha, but I made a record with Aretha Spirit when I worked <laughs> with Toy. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know what she on right now. I love her voice. I really love to see if she'd like to get back in the studio again. So if you're listening to it, <laughs> we'd love for you to come back in and we do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, baby. yeah, her and Knox was doing something for oh, yeah, a little bit, and yeah. then I don't know whatever became The follow-through. Some, some people don't have that follow-through. You know what I'm saying? It takes a team to make sure that you got the whole follow-through. Oh, what you say? 
Oh, okay. All right. So, uh, <laughs> the record, uh, it was on the Snoops. It was the compilation record you the did. The Doghouse Records compilation? Dog, was it that one? The one with Trouble? By, uh, oh, Trouble? Trouble? Yeah. Trouble. Guess where he from? Where? Virginia. <laughs> oh, shit. For real? A nigga named Vinny Bernard. Bernard. Yeah. Guess where I met him at? Nigga at 7-Eleven, it was snowing one night. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> nigga, it was snowing one night. Nigga at 7-Eleven, nigga. And I get out the little van and go uh, buy me something out the store, right, in, in Virginia. And nigga like, I got this CD, man. I make music. I'm like, let me hear this motherfucker. I said, if it's whack, nigga, I'm going to slang that motherfucker on the freeway. Get in the van. We riding. This nigga shit sound good. This nigga got arrangement and this nigga got tone. And I'm like, nigga. I call that nigga like, nigga, your shit hard, nigga. Let me, let me buy that song. The trouble, yeah. So I bought that song, Trouble, and put it on my shit. And then we made a couple of songs. We did one called... Uh, uh, just get carried away. Oh, that's him singing on that him one? Him and my Uncle Rio. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. That was uh, another, it was on that album. You had, um, it was the Trouble record, and it was somebody else. Um, God, man, who was on that record? I, lo- I used to I used to play the hell out of that album. It was another cat that you, oh, tripping. Superfly, what's going on with him? Mm, mm, mm. He got a song right now on the uh, Meet the Black soundtrack that's called Pass the Sticks. Mm-hmm. I'd like to play that for y'all as well. When does it come out? The soundtrack? January. When? Uh, January. Next month. January. Yeah, next month it'll be out. Right after Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Jingle bells. Is um is not I don't know he was I think he was one Joe's Dre's camp, but um Nocturnal, is he still what's what happened? I ain't, I ain't heard from him in a minute. Yeah, he was uh with, with with the circle, you know, he was in the crew. But I ain't heard from him in a minute, you know. This is the wild, wild west. You gotta stay in it to win it. Yeah. Can I just ask, at what point in your career did you know that you could sell things to all of America? Like, it was a point where you crossed over. To white people. Yeah, to white people. What was, <laughs> like. How'd you get Martha Stewart's trust? I'm, yeah. We saw, the, well, we saw the relationship start, but. Yeah, like, but, but it was I before. I said, how'd you get her trust? <laughs> it was before all of that, though. It was before Martha Stewart. It's been for a while now. You've been in a, well, he's on a this side of things. Well, you like. Yeah. Charisma goes a long ass way. This but is most ca- charismatic people aren't talented. Mm-hmm. But it and must have been the, a, it must have been a point though where you were like, shit, look at this. I mean, they paying attention and they gonna let me sell this to everybody. You know, whatever it was. It, it's like you don't never realize until it actually happens. Like, cause you don't. Nobody really watches their highlights while they playing the game. Mm-hmm. You know, like true superstars, they don't really you know look at that. They too busy trying to get more highlights. And then at the end of the day, then I'll be able to look back and say, wow, I didn't realize I was doing X, Y, and Z. Right now, I'm just doing me. And all the opportunities that, that happen to fall my direction, I try to make the most of them and try to put things together that are going to be here for the future. I had, like, stages of my life when I didn't really give a fuck about the future. And I feel like those moments are cemented, and they mean a lot because they help raise people and they help cement who I was and how I'm supposed to do it. And then there's stages of my life where it's like I got to mean something. I got to like give some information and direction because now I'm on the on the level of one who has that and I shouldn't be s- selfish and try to keep it to myself. How long did you and Pharrell work on the Bush album? I love that record, man, and like, I don't know what was it. Listen, to Bruno, things, what listen to Bruno Mars' album. It sounds just like it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No, I'm, I sound like a disgruntled nigga. No, I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> now, Bruno Mars, shout out to Bruno for writing uh, Young, Wild, and Free. And not want no credit. Oh, he wrote that one. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. 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 Mm-hmm. He was going through some things judicially, so. 
<laughs> we, we worked it out to where I wrote it and, you know, he wrote it. And Wait, I forgot. We did that together. Yeah. You came to the show. It was Bruno. Back when I knew who Bruno was. Yes, nigga. It was see? Bruno, you, see? and, uh, yeah. See, Quest? See, I forgot. We did that. Memory, nigga. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> it's like, oh, what's your name? Bruno? Okay. <laughs> nice to meet you. Yeah, well, now look at him now. That nigga's yeah, bigger than Elvis. <laughs> who are you? No, nigga, who is you? Right, exactly. <laughs> On the California Road Joint with Stevie. Lord, did he play mercy. it with y'all or watch, was he now watch this. Do it? Watch this moment. I got to tell you the moment first. <laughs> so we up there with the music, right? First of all, he made the song for Schoolboy Q. And Schoolboy ah, school okay. Q didn't want it. It was for like a remix. Or something. He didn't want it. I heard it. I was like, nigga, I need that, nigga. That shit hard. Give me that. I'm going to sing, and I'm going to have my nigga James Fonroy write my verses yes. so that way I got some, some melody about it. Right. So then I'm listening to Pharrell sing. I'm like, so now we're in the studio. I'm smoking. I'm like, nigga, we need to get Stevie Wonder on this motherfucker. <laughs> he like, you got his number? I'm like, yeah, I got the nigga number. Nigga, hold on. <laughs> Stevie, what's happening? Hey, hey, I need you at the studio. Nigga, what you doing, man? I got a hit record with me and Pharrell. I'll be right there. <laughs> so Stevie come to the studio. Now, mind you, me and Pharrell in the studio, we smoking. He ain't smoking, but we smoking, and he right next to us. You smoking him out? The fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> so now Stevie get there, right? So Stevie listening to the record in the, in the, in the room with us. Then he go in the booth. So he in there. Finna sing, he got his headphones on, he's singing, and I'm like, Pharrell, tell him what to do. And Pharrell, like, hmm? <laughs> <laughs> I said, cuz, Stevie been in there for five minutes, cuz, you ain't told cuz nothing. He just sitting in the booth for like five minutes, just. I'm like, first of all, somebody need to go in there for that nigga fall. <laughs> so he don't say nothing. I'm like, cuz, tell the nigga what to do, cuz, so he don't say nothing. So he pushed the little thing. I said, Stevie, Pharrell said, uh, sing on, on this part and sing on that part. So he started singing, and he, he doing his thing. And I'm like, Pharrell, tell the nigga, cuz, this ain't my expertise. I don't do all that with niggas that sing. I just sit back and watch, nigga. You supposed to tell him to do the runs, and the, he just, this nigga Pharrell just sitting there stuck, nigga, like. So I'm in there coaching Stevie. I'm like, I know I'm finna fuck this song up. All right, Stevie, when you get to this part, I need you to go, um, mm, all that shit. And then, Stevie, did, did you bring your harmonica? Wow. Did you bring it? Wow. Pull it out. All right, Stevie, just play anything you want. Mm. When Pharrell gets sober, we're going to take the best parts and we're going to put them <laughs> up. And that's how that motherfucking song came about. I ain't making this shit up. Thank I love you, man. that song, though, man. I love that right Yeah, I love it, too. Thank you, thank you. Damn, man. can I ask one weed question? Go ahead. Okay, yeah, because I got a few. So, listen, first of all, <laughs> I want to ask you That sounds like a black woman. Huh? Can I ask one weed question? No. Yeah, because I got a few. Well, I wanted to go back to my roll call because I was serious about this question because it's been like some documentaries and some studies and whatnot, and I wanted to know your opinion on what people are saying about the indica versus the sativa and saying that it's, it's all bullshit. Like, where are you? With that. Well, I think that sativa is for certain people and indica is for certain people. It's whatever your make is. It's like some people like gin, some people like uh, whiskey. whiskey some okay, people okay, like. Okay, break it down to like a kindergartner. To a kindergartner. Indica versus sativa. Indica is for the aggressive, for the ones like myself, the ones who've been doing it for a long time, who need like a high tolerance, who looking for the, the highest level of getting there. Mm -hmm. Sativa is more of a female relaxation. Oh. You know, huh. tone me down. I never heard it described well, with damn, that gender. Why? It's real. It, I don't see a lot of niggas that be like, nigga, you want to hit this sativa? <laughs> damn, like, let's get my your soft shit. ass out of here, nigga. <laughs> you got a flower with that too, nigga? 
<laughs> but the word is that it's not real. The concept is not real. That's what I was saying. The word is that the concept is not real and it's all some bullshit of indica and sativa. Of them being two different strains. Yes. No, that, that is very real. Okay. They're, because they're two different strains. They're two different. How, how would I explain that, Frank? What are they? Two different what? Hold on, hold on, hold on. One will make you want to go to sleep. The other one will keep you up eating all night. Yeah, it's like, it's like yeah. one of them is like, like a, a, a relaxed. Like sativa is more like connected with medical. You know, because it's the yeah, exactly. And then the uh, the indica is like the party shit where all the rappers and the, you know what I'm saying, the yeah. high energy, and you got shit to do when you're trying to get it done. And you know what I'm saying? I've heard what I've heard described, and I don't know if it's in if different strains within them, but like one is like a body high and one is a True, more right. of a head high. True. So which one would you recommend like for pain, like for like joints, arthritis, that kind of shit? Which one works better for pain? You'd have to be prescribed. I would go to a real, <laughs> a real shit. You could go to a real. Yeah, dispensary and go see a real doctor, and they'll tell you exactly what. Rub some tussin on it. <laughs> are you are you looking to get into the dispensary game? That's what I was going to. No, no, not that game. I'm you? Gonna... That's what I was going to say. How invested are you uh, in that in I that got, game? I got Snoop Premium Nutrients. Oh. That's what I was going to think yes. about that side, yes. man. Just think about what a nutrient is. Yes. A nutrient yes. is what you need to grow the flower. Yes. So everyone who grows flowers has got a nutrient. Man. <laughs> you hear me? I knew some genius you was going to drop. That's why I <laughs> don't want to be a football player. I know this. You're you a owner. Own the team. Damn stadium. <laughs> yes. I want to be the grass that they playing on, man. Oh, <laughs> even better. Because I'll even... need that every night. Nah, you can't play the game without grass, baby. Yeah. That's it. I just. Wow, you just gave me That's... food for thought. <laughs> Yeah, go that direction. You know what I'm saying? Because I mean, everyone's now it, like trying to pony up their, their, their everybody games. Because it's a racehorse. Is it public? To or? get to the pinnacle of, I got the best product. I'm doing this. I'm in this industry. But it's like alcohol. This probably happened when alcohol was in pro- prohibition, when it became whatever legal. Right. It was probably 16, 17 different brands that was competing. And then there was Seagram's. And there was, you know, certain motherfuckers that just pushed out the way like... Mm-hmm. And there were just four, right? Like, exactly, like ain't nothing happening. Y'all yeah. can't fuck with this because we thinking way further than y'all. Our so product can, is better and we do it better. Can you advise for the middleman? Because literally, my even my mother was like, she really wants to invest in the marijuana industry. And tell, mama penny, and tell mama and I'll let me give me a few dollars. I'll give her a nice little Yo, double up. Yo, okay, all right, I got you. All right, <laughs> yeah, I got you, Dave. Give is. mama a double up pack to get her going. Okay. Yeah, right, I got to ask. <laughs> Bones. Yeah. Uh, what was it like shooting that? When I um when I got the role, Ernest Dickerson, he was like, um, Pam Greer signed on. And I was like, Yeah, I, you know, I'm cool as a motherfucker, yeah. So he like, I got y'all a flight together that y'all gonna fly in so that way y'all can, you know, get acquainted because there's a lot of scenes that y'all got together. I'm like, all right, cool, Pam Greer, nigga, I'm gonna do this shit, nigga. Flying to Frisco. She flying to Frisco. I'm sitting down, she come behind me and tap me on the shoulder. And I look back and I'm like, damn, cuz it's Pam Greer, cuz. <laughs> can't believe this shit, right? So I'm like, I look at her, give her a hug, and she like chopping it up with me for a minute. I'm like, all right, boom, boom, boom. I go to the bathroom, nigga, and just faint. Just fall out. Boom, right on the floor. I'm laid on the floor for like five minutes. My security come in like, nigga, get off this oh, dirty literally. floor. Oh, literally? Like, wow. nigga, for real. Oh, I thought you meant metaphorically. <laughs> oh, nigga, I got a heap. Niggas, I've seen Pam Greer. Nigga. <laughs> 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 nigga said, it's like when I saw Janet Jackson on the night show. Went limp. <laughs> nigga went limp. Nigga just, <laughs> <laughs> niggas come grab me off the floor. They throwing water and shit on them. Niggas, so I regroup. 
And nigga, we're our flight, we sitting side by side, the whole flight, nigga, my heart beating like 90 go west. And she just chopping up with me, just being so real, she makes me comfortable. Like, this is one of the only motherfuckers I've ever been like starstruck around, because I'm like, I got scenes with her, I got to kiss her, and I got to, so I'm getting nervous and shit, like, but then she like, break me all the way down, and she like, call your wife for me when we land. And then she holler at my wife when I land, I'm like, this is a real mother. Fucking queen diva right here. You hear me? And it just put me in a zone where I was like, all right, cool. And I went to set, and then Ricky Harris was there. Rest in peace. Yeah, yeah, man. He made my job real easy because he had already been on many movie sets, and he was just like, nigga, kill this shit, nigga, like we used to do, nigga. Fuck that, nigga. You know, giving me that confidence, like, nigga, you the league, nigga, you the star, nigga. And it was like I needed that. Not in a cocky way, but I needed that in a... Yeah. Confident way. Yeah, talk about Ricky, man, because <clears throat> I didn't really know much about him, but I know he was. I mean, we knew him from Dell Comedy Jam, and like he was like on all the skits. He, and w the voice and from W Ball. Yeah, yes. W yeah. Ball. Yeah. What was, what was Rick like, man? Working with him. Funny, real serious. Um, like my whole childhood was with him in church. His father was the preacher of our church, Reverend ah, okay. Richard George Has the Fud. Um, Ricky was always athletic. He taught me how to play quarterback. In 1979, behind Reverend Viner's house, he was uh, funny in church. He was he could sing. He was like all this, all the things that you see me doing. <clears throat> it had to be somebody you seen doing it first. He was probably the first person I seen doing the do. Okay. You know, multitasking, being funny, being real, being an athlete, being this, being that. You know what I'm saying? So it was like when he made it, we made it. Then he got on Ice Cube album first. Yeah, because he was. Uh... Um, and he was a uh, straight R&B, straight R&B, Ice Cube shit. We was that like, was Ricky, yes, that was Rick, nigga. Yeah. I was oh, not gonna play any Ice Cube because yeah. that's bullshit. Turn off the radio. Get that shit out of here. Straight R&B. Yeah, <laughs> I did not know that. that so when I hear that, I'm like, nigga, I need you on my shit, nigga, for our radio station, W Balls. <laughs> and he just handled it from there. But like, even from just being kids to us making it, it was a comfort zone working with him. Like whenever I would have him around, like he would be a and a lot of the writing, like when I had my show, uh, Doggy Fizzle and all that shit, he was one of the writers. And, like, I would always bring him to the job, like, to be one of them niggas behind the scenes with that pen because he knew me. Like, a lot of them writers in Hollywood didn't know me. They just was writing bullshit. We think this will be funny if you say this. <laughs> and I needed a nigga in the room be like, that nigga ain't going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you need that kind of motherfucker in the room. Yeah. Did you improvise the line, fuck your fort, little nigga, in Baby Boy? <laughs> yo, that is like Ooh. yo. With me and my boys, we play Madden and shit. Whoever got lost. Oh fuck your fort! Man, that's, that's that was our party shot. That was our shot. Fuck your fort, little nigga. And like, so thank you for calling that. It's so much you've given to to the game. I know. Fuck your fort. Shit, fuck Let your it be fort. known then. Let yeah, it be known then. Every roots argument starts with. <laughs> <laughs> Let it be known then. <laughs> You Yo. know what? I was talking to Max Julian, right? And Max uh, Julian, this is my nigga right here. I love him to death. The Mac. So we talking about the Mac, right? And he like, yeah, man, you know what? So Richard, man, we get to the set, the director, because the director was a white dude named Michael Campus. He's like, yeah, so the white boy, you know, trying to tell Richard what to do. Richard like, white boy, you can't tell me a motherfucking thing, you motherfucking honky. I write my own motherfucking line. He said, so Richard did all his lines. You know, he wrote his own shit. You know, I couldn't tell him nothing. So when wow. you watch the Mac... 
Know that that nigga, every line he did in there wow. was his. Wow. He wasn't having it. But what was it like with John Singleton, man? How, how did it all uh, go? Man, John is a, a dear friend. He's been with us for a long time. He was like always supportive of the 213 movement. He was one of the people that really wanted to do a 213 movie back in the days. Like, he was really into what we was doing. Uh, remember, he gave Warren G that shot with, you know, with the first single. Oh, yeah, Indo Smoke. Yeah, yeah, put him on. You know what I'm saying? So working with him is like, it's so easy, but he's so professional. So it's like, you you getting you getting your comfort zone, but at the same time, this motherfucker's professional. And you know when he finished with you, you're going to look amazing. You know it's going to be a part of something that's historic. So you really want to follow his direction. And a lot of the things that we would, would do, he would give me direction, and he would say, all right, I want, I want to shoot it my way, and then I'm going to shoot it your way. Like, what, what would Rodney do? What would Rodney say? And then, like, he'd say, well, do it this way. Say it like this. And then I'd do it that way. He'd be like, all right, I got that. Now, what would Rodney say? Mm. Shit. Fuck your fort, little nigga. <laughs> <laughs> I, Any plans for your a biopic of you? Because yeah. everyone's doing their biopics now. That's what I wouldn't do. I wouldn't do what everyone else does. Yeah, man, what happened? Okay, the what? Tupac biopic. Mm-hmm. I just forget. The Tupac Bobby, why did they have you doing your own voice as the in the character of C? You think that's what you? happened? It's, it's that, it sounds oh. just like you. I th- it, it was printed somewhere. I thought it was you. post that. Oh. 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 See? That's okay. Hey. <laughs> Give it a <laughs> You're supposed to drop Scooby-Doo, nigga. <laughs> Wait, can I, can, I ask a quick, can I ask a quick John Singleton question? I just wanted to know, since you mentioned it, we mentioned John, I wanted to see what you thought about uh, Snowfall. Franklin is the shit. Yes, listen. <laughs> no spoilers. Listen. Right. Listen. Ain't no spoilers. No season two spoilers. I'm not going to spoil shit, but, but listen. But there, can you Franklin end the reality of it? Franklin is the closest nigga to Snoop Dogg on screen. <laughs> nigga, For real? Do you hear me? For yes. real? This just tra- his train of thought. He's a genius. His, 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 just the way he... This motherfucker is so Snoop Dogg when I watch him. I wasn't watching in the beginning. I'm going to be honest with you. I wasn't watching him. I'm like, I don't want to see another fucking black shit. <laughs> Everybody was saying and that. And I was in like, the fucking 80s. I'm tired of this fucking the nigga shit. Though, but the story's Then I started though. watching that shit. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Now, season two, two way better I had to go one. back and tape season one. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. I'm in season two. And I'm like, this nigga Franklin is so motherfucking cold-blooded with his spiel, yes. his conversation. Yes. Like. He's so Snoop Dogg. He's smart. Man. And what do you, it's crazy because he's British. Like, how you feel about the what? accent? Yes. Yeah, he's yeah, right. Yeah. British. Right. He's British. Wait a minute. That ain't he's, no nigga from no. Oh, nah, he British. Ain't yeah, no. No. Oh, he ain't one of us. No. He ain't one of you. Nah, he's British. He's yeah. British. So, so in the All Eyes on Me movie, that's not, how did that happen? Because it sounds like it was you doing the you did voice. post. Yeah. You'd have to ask the director and the. Uh, <laughs> Sound effect guys, like, hey, right. <laughs> <laughs> he's being real ambiguous right now. Okay, but I was saying about my thing. Okay, y'all was asking about a Snoop Dogg biopic. I'm like, I would never do that for the simple fact that it's been done, and I wouldn't want to do what everybody else is doing. But <clears throat> there could be a series, mm-hmm. ah. sort of kind of like Knuckles. Yeah, Sammy, based on the life before. There and after. Okay. You know, from father in Vietnam, 68. Mm. Spoiler alert, your childhood. Oh, shit. Wow. <laughs> you hear me? That's amazing. Right? Wow. Like, that makes more sense for me as opposed to try to squeeze two hours of all of this shit. Right. 
that I'm doing and done and try to make it, you know, worthy of you understanding it and loving it and appreciating it and not offending anyone because I believe I would leave some things out if I tried to buy Or you might people. leave some shit in and then people... Right. You know how it's I It's hard go. to tell other people's stories and... Right. I see. I think it's better that way. Snoop, can you give us some marriage tips before we roll out, man? Oh, man. Happy wife, happy life. She's always right. You're always wrong. Um, <laughs> name your company after her, your compound after uh, uh, Yeah, name your company and your compound after her. <laughs> um, That's boss lady. Make sure that there's constant, sufficient funds in her account. <laughs> True. Keep the girls to a minimum at work and after work. Yeah. Can, and, you, can you talk about what you've learned being a father to a daughter? Mm, that this world we live in is fast. These girls is hot-tailed and fast. <laughs> Love showing they rumps and putting their leg out, taking pictures and wearing makeup and trying to be grown. Like, you know, I remember when it was a time when you was a teenager, you wanted to be a teenager for a long time. They don't want to be Because you, you enjoy the, the moment of being a teenager. Now it's like, I can't wait to not be a teenager so I can be grown. And that's from not age 9, 10, 11 to go to 19, it ain't going from 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 no more. So it's like, and to have a girl, so many influences, and so many girls that's doing it her age, younger than her, older than her. So you just try to, you know, raise them the right way and teach them the, you know, the ins and outs, but they have their own minds, they do their own thing. You just try to make sure that we did our part, like me and Boss Lady did our part as far as. Like I was saying, it's only so much you can do when your kid leaves the house. It's like, you can't overparent. You just got to do your job and, and pray that you did a great job and, you know, the results will be seen in the near future. Who were some of the people that you, like, when you and your wife would have problems in your marriage or just, you know, y'all have hard times, who were some of the people that you could talk to to say, like, yo, I'm in this situation, how can you help me? Like, who were some of the married couples or other couples or just OGs you met in the industry or whatever that you could actually talk to about that kind of stuff? Uh, with me, it was probably Charlie Wilson was probably the only one that I could actually talk to for the simple fact that he um, he loved my wife, my kids. Uh, he loves me, and my wife loved him, his wife, and his family. So it was like it's a mutual understanding when he gets involved, and he ain't never going to play to my side. If I'm wrong, he going to shoot me down and tell me, nigga, you're wrong as a motherfucker. Get your ass home. I'm going to call and try to smooth shit over, nigga. Hear him get in through the back door, nigga, before I hang up with him. <laughs> You know, he one of them kind of niggas. You know what I'm saying? One of them uncles where you like, this is a good-ass nigga right here. <laughs> was there anybody else in the game you had like that other than Charlie? Just cats that you could really, you know, look up to and that would, like, help you in that way? Or just anyway, like, career-wise, anybody that gave you good career advice? I like Ice Cube's advice. Ice Cube was giving me a lot of great advice. A lot of shit he told me to pass on. I was hard-headed in the beginning because I was like, nigga, I'm hot, nigga, I'm doing... Nigga, they want me to be in 13 movies, nigga. <laughs> nigga, they want you to be in Who's the Man, nigga. You better <laughs> sit your motherfucking ass down. <laughs> who's the Man Part 2, nigga. You better yeah. sit your ass down, nigga. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a couple things I did that I'm not, you know, too happy about that I should have took his advice. But as I got older and started making better decisions, I could thank him and say, well, you know, it ain't about the money. Snook, we got a whole bunch of money for you to be in this garbage-ass movie. <laughs> this shit sucks cock. But we're going to pay you so much fucking money, it's fucking horrible. <laughs> That's basically what a nigga should say, you know what I mean? That's what it boils down to. I was wondering if you was like your own brain trust in that way, because you make some... Pretty awesome right. decisions. Yeah. yeah. That's that's what it's been for like the past ten years. And I got a lot of that from like one of the young niggas, fifty cent. Mm. Like 
there was one point in time where 50, me and him was rolling together, and he was doing a lot of shit on his own. Like, it was fucking me up that I would always have my people going there and meeting, and this nigga would be in the meeting, and I'm like, how this nigga in there, and I'm not in there, and then there's certain shit he was doing, he put me up on certain things, and I was like, you know what? This nigga's smart. Mm-hmm. He brilliant, mm-hmm. and he passing information on. And, you know, when I got that information, I ran with it. And don't mind sharing the fact that I got it from him. Yeah. What do you do um, with your kids now? Because how old, how old are your, your, your kids now? Them motherfuckers is in the 20s. Yeah, I was like, they like, grown. Grand, granddad now. <laughs> like, I, I am. Good. I just had a granddaughter. I know. Congratulations. 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 Yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah. I think I saw her in the bathroom. Yeah, her name's 11. Say it again. 10, 11. <laughs> Oh, that's the name. <laughs> <laughs> Nigga, this 2018's knocking. You ain't finna hear no regular names no more. Right, right. Shit. <laughs> you thought I was gonna say her name is Isabella. <laughs> <laughs> that's like what Kevin said. It's 11, but you know, I'm grandpa. 11? <laughs> Come here, baby. Come get grandpa. Hugs. What's the significance behind 11? I ain't even asked my son. You know, I probably, <laughs> how do you ask the nigga? What did, so, what was y'all the fuck thinking when y'all. You know, people two, two ones equal. Yeah, what, what happened was it was 10, 9, 8, 11. <laughs> <laughs> what, how was it uh, as, a, as a dad, like, you know what I'm saying, being that you had so much success in your career? And, you know, your upbringing or your kids' upbringing was way different than yours. How did you, I guess, how did you navigate that? Being that, you know, how you came up versus how your kids came up but not wanting to spoil them and still wanting to be able to, you know, find their own way in life. Thank God for the Snoop U Football League because my football league was urban and it was them playing with kids that came from urban communities, them building relationships, and then going to school with kids like that and learning how to live within but without. And then me and my wife would bring them to certain situations where they could see this is where we grew up at, this is where we lived at, and walk around and look inside this one bedroom and like, nigga, y'all got a room that's yours, and we lived in a house that was the size of your room. Like, to appreciate, to understand the fact that it's a struggle and it's a hustle. We want y'all to live better, but don't take it for granted because it can all be taken away, and this is where we come from. We know how to adjust to it if we have to go back to it. Y'all don't. So the best thing you can do is prepare yourself and try to do some things that were you not connected to my thing, but creating your own thing. It's you gonna think be. They, understood it? You think they, they, they didn't understand it, but I think as as time goes on, they get it, and I'm gonna do what the real people do. I'm gonna make sure my family tied into my business, so I'm gonna make sure they're gonna learn this shit one way or the other. Well, Uncle Snoop, we thank you mm-hmm. for your wise sage advice. We gotta wrap up, <laughs> even though we got. I know, right? 59 billion more questions. <laughs> oh, can I thank no. you for what, for the all of the sisters for what you said on The View? Because, you know, we, like, forwarded that, like, 50,000 times, watched it again and again and again and again and again and put it on repeat. What did he, what did he say? What was that? Oh, when he was asked about, well, he was asked about uh, Kanye, and he basically said that he needed a good black woman beside him, and that's what's wrong with him. You ain't never leaving Kanye alone, is you? I was just saying. That was what he said. I reposted the joint, so thank you. It was true, and it didn't mean like a lover. It just means somebody with stability that he needed. It was no one around. We understood what you meant. Whether it was a sister, whether it was whatever it was, something she needed to be there. flying flying in today. Obviously, it's not even a nanny. She coming straight over here. That's what Let me know when she get here. Like, you gotta be one of them. You scared when she coming in? She got that. Wait till your mama get on. Where you at, Kanye? Bring your punk ass down here. Nah, man. We thank you. Thank you for everything, man. Just thank you. Yeah.
Come on, man. Mm. So just, just watching your journey is, is just for over these years, it's been uh, it's been a great and seeing what you've built here at this compound, it's life yeah, goals. We don't so want to go home. Yeah, life goals. Thank yeah. you. Life goals. Thank you. You're one of the people I tell my kids just the story of like innovation and like how long. Because my oldest son, he likes rhyming. He want to rap and stuff. And I'm just like, man. But you look at a cat like Snoop that's like killing it now. To know where he came from, yeah. Right, man. And let your son know I was weak once upon a time. I wasn't wasn't great. I was weak, and I had to get better. Like I knew I was weak. You know what I'm saying? That's the thing. When you're weak and you know you're weak, are you gonna accept it, or are you gonna get better? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, do something about it. So let him know. You know he ain't he ain't great right now, but he can be great. And don't accept that shit. Keep going till he find greatness. Wise words to live by. Well, ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of Team Supreme, I'm leaving uh, the proper uh, music in the background. So anyway, <laughs> praise God. Men up on behalf of on the rough side. On, on the rough side. This is my grandmother's favorite Bill. song, man. That's right. Praise God. The my ear. She <laughs> made super fine tables on the piano. Happy holidays, everyone. Yeah, happy holidays. Thank you very much, Snoop. No, it's thank love you. on behalf of What's Up Supreme, only on Vendor. It's the Supreme team, baby. That's right. What's Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.